a whisper of death stirred the house, and it screamed, Murder! Murder! This school specializes in students whose character is, um, difficult. In order to bring them back to the right path, I must run this establishment with a firm hand. This was a strange kind of girls' school, where unholy horror haunts the innocent and the wicked are filled with distorted desires. Every three weeks, a young man comes to visit here. Each time, one of us has a chance to meet him. Next time, it'll be my turn. The house that screamed is a finishing school for depravity, evil, and murder. See Lily Palmer as the mistress who teaches everything in The House That Screamed, in color, rated GP. Welcome to the Nashy Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And tonight we once again delve deeper into Spanish horror. Yes, we're uh, doing another Beyond Nashy episode this evening. This will be episode number 20 of that particular thread of shows. And tonight we cover a film that, uh, well, could be argued kind of kicked off the whole Spanish horror golden age all on its lonesome. But that's kind of debatable. Mm, There's mm. Mark of the Wolfman, a.k.a. Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, that mm. was one year before. Mm. But uh, this film was an undeniable huge hit around the world. Didn't do that well here in the United States. Yeah. But it's very highly regarded now, though. Definitely. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Very highly regarded. I do suspect that the reason that it wasn't as highly regarded here in the States as it was elsewhere in the world is that it got trimmed pretty hard here. Uh, it shortened quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, in the United States. Um, when you trim 10 to 11 minutes out of a film, especially a film this carefully constructed right. and deliberately paced, uh, yeah, you speed things up, but you also lose nuance, you lose characterization, mm-hmm. and you lose well, you lose detail. I haven't watched the uh, I've only watched the full cut. I've not, I did not watch the shorter cut, but it's but yeah, it's hard for me to imagine Finding enough stuff that's not crucial to characters and crucial to plots to, you know, if you cut that much out of it there, I'd, I'd yeah, have to imagine yeah. somewhere or another something's going to be missing. Oh, we should mention that the name of the film is The House That Screamed. Yes. Also known as La Residencia. Mm-hmm. Or La Residencia. Mm-hmm. There you I'm go. Try, I'm trying to pronounce trying, Spanish man, correctly. Uh, points for trying, yeah. Uh, and this is, uh, this is the uh, other feature film by the man who made Who Could Kill a Child uh, several years later. A man who uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the, the director, the actual, actually the writer director mm-hmm. of this film a little bit later because uh, he made his name in uh, Spanish television and made his fortune in Spanish television as well. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk a little bit more about him later. But first, this being the Nashy cast, we do have a bit of Nashy news. Just a little, just, little, uh, just nothing little, real. Bit, yeah. <laughs> Since we last spoke with you, there has been an explosion of news mm-hmm. about brand new Blu-ray releases of God Save Us All Paul Nashy films. Uh, we've known for a little while that Mondo Macabro are going to be releasing two of the rarer hard-to-find Paul Nashy films, uh, especially here in the States. They're releasing Inquisition and El Caminante. Right, right. Two of which, two of 
two of his better films, to be honest. Two really solid efforts. Mm-hmm. Very good movies. Uh, uh, Troy and I have both talked for years about how the fact that uh, El Comandante is not better known is a crime, and we wouldn't be surprised to see it pop up in the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. But Mondo Macabro got their hands on it, and mm-hmm. from all accounts, mm-hmm. holy God, mm-hmm. yes, it should be wondrous and glorious. Yes. Now, with those two releases, uh, we thought, surely, with last year's release of Count Dracula's Great Love by Vinegar Syndrome, we were in a we were in a wonderful world where it might just be possible that more Paul Nashy films might eventually come out on Blu-ray if we if we prayed real hard and crossed <laughs> our fingers and begged, <laughs> begged. Right. And it turns out we didn't really have to beg that hard because right. hard right. on the heels of that announcement, we've learned that. Uh, whew, well, it seems that there's going to be a wealth of Paul Nashy Blu-ray releases. Scream Factory has announced that they're going to be releasing a set of five Paul Nashy films to Blu-ray in a big set. Coming out at the end of June. Yes, end of June. I think the June, June the 30th, 20th or something, 20th or 20th, or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, well, let's just say, if you missed out on the BCI releases from years ago, hmm. uh, this is going to take care of you just, just fine. Because the films in this set include, and let's see if I can remember them all, Horror Rises from the Tomb, Mm -hmm. Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, Night of the Werewolf, Vengeance of the Zombies, and... Human Beast. Human Beast, that's right. Mm -hmm. Blu-ray. Blu-rays, people, we were saying. Yes, yes. Now, extras have not been announced on the uh, the Scream Factory set, uh, but we can hope that they pile them on. Uh, The one thing that I'm fairly sure of is that there are going to be liner notes written by Merrick Lipinski, Thank goodness, because he has yeah. said something about that on mm-hmm. Facebook. Mm-hmm. So that is good news. That will put those films in some historical context and give people who ha- don't know a whole lot about these movies some insight into their background. Right. That's good news. But the simple fact that they're coming out at all in their uncut forms mm-hmm. on Blu-ray is phenomenal news. But topping that, mm-hmm. Code Red DVD announced that they have acquired three other Paul Nashy films for Blu-ray release, and those would be Assignment Terror, The Mummy's yep. Revenge, a.k.a. The Vengeance of the Mummy, if you mm-hmm. if you go by the way I like to call the film, mm-hmm. and Fury of the Wolfman. So what we have is, and I know this is a little much to take in, you've got Scream Factory releasing a set of five. You've got Code Red announcing the eventual release of three more. You've got Mondo Macabro releasing Inquisition and El Caminante. Holy crap. Yeah. Suddenly, there's a deluge. There's mm-hmm. a flood. It looks like 2017 is going to be the year mm-hmm. of the Paul Nashy Blu-ray. And Rod and I, of course, take full credit uh, for, for, for this happening. <laughs> of course. It's it's nothing but our hard work and our hard work alone so, so. that has brought this wonderful and, thing to pass. So when the sun is at its highest each day, you should all like uh, turn towards Nashville and uh, do five minutes of... Thanking us. Yes, right. Thanking us. No, no, no. Bowing your forehead, touching your forehead to the ground. and yes. well, well, there is one little thing, one little thing we can spice this up with, yes. which is a, another piece of good news, which is that the fine folks at Mondo Macabro have, uh, well, they've prevailed upon the two of us uh, to do a commentary track for Inquisition, which we have done. So mm-hmm. we can tell you now, uh, if you had not heard before, that uh, the Inquisition disc from Mondo Macabro will have a commentary track from Troy and myself. 
Uh, the first commentary track we've uh, we've ever done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we sweat, lost a lot of lost a lot of, lost a lot of bodily fluids over that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a. I can't I can't tell you how difficult it was to put that together, people, because it was not easy, and we were very nervous about it, and we remain nervous about it because, oh Lord, mm-hmm. we've never done this kind of thing before. Yeah, yeah. So so please be kind before when you get your slings and arrows ready there, and I will get <laughs> remember oh, that it was yeah. our remember it was our first one. Uh, but uh, but then, remember, yeah. your first one may be memorable, yeah, but it ain't, but always, it ain't the always the best. That's right. <laughs> oh well, now I'm like underplaying things, like <laughs> like like we know that there's just something hideous in it that sucks. <laughs> the only thing hideous about it is we needed a whole second. We could have used a whole second track oh. to say everything we wanted to say about the film. But that's I'm sure that's something that every uh, anyone out there listening who's done audio comedy and go like say like, yep, I know just what you mean. You know, it's probably the first harsh harsh lesson you learn is uh, how quickly those ninety minutes go by. When, oh God. <laughs> I, I, how many how many times while we were recording it did we look at each other and realize yeah. oh this is never going to fit we're I mean, never going to get all this we're never like, getting this in yeah, never yeah it was it was it was harsh but that's the that's the really impressive news for uh, a a snashy cast podcaster mm-hmm. folk is that uh yeah in a way we're uh you know, regardless of how badly <laughs> the commentary gets reviewed and I'm just anticipating the worst folks we are kind of mm. Legitimized by mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. gotten that it gotten that produced. Gotten yeah, that well, produced. it's you know it's, it's something to show for our seven years of work we put into uh, <laughs> yeah, put into our Nashi worship here. So uh, <laughs> what 80, 86 minutes of us <laughs> talking on a Blu-ray? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, folks, that's uh, that's what's coming up next. I mean, let's let's be blunt. The next few months uh, mm. this year is going to be amazing. If you're a Paul Nashi fan, or if you're hoping to turn some of your friends into Paul Nashi fans. This yeah. is the year that you're going to be able to do it mm-hmm. because, exactly. man. <laughs> so, cool. that's good news. That's fantastic stuff. We hope to have more uh, Paul Nashy uh, news to give to you in the future. Yep. Maybe when, when we find out release dates for the, the Code Red stuff or if mm-hmm. we find out about uh, any extras that are going to be in those Paul Nashy Blu-rays coming from Scream Factory. Can can you believe this? There's just so, there's just yeah, so much. It is crazy. After all the time we tell me how many times the show we're just like, man, you know what's happening with all this pond? I know, I know. But I think what happens is, you know, the word gets out. Some company grabs it, and then it just becomes like a bidding war. You know, I think all these all, all these companies are always fishing for some new avenue to go down. Probably if they get word that like, oh hey, this company's picked up these companies. Well, hey, let's do those that guys. Let's try and get some of that guys' films, and then it's just kind of like a, 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 a fe- you know, like a, a feeding frenzy, you know, to try and and pick up uh, pick up this stuff. So that's a strong possibility. I don't mm-hmm. know, but mm-hmm. I tell you what, guys, uh, that's the that's the big news we have for today. So right now we're gonna uh, take a quick break, mm-hmm. and when we come back, we're gonna delve deeply into a discussion of the house that screamed. <laughs> There are a lot of podcasts out there that do science fiction, horror, and fantasy movies, but how many of them are done by somebody who's been watching this shit for half a century? Hi, my name's Terry Frost, and I do the Martian Drive-In Podcast, a podcast where I look at silent films all the way through to movies from the second decade of the 21st century. I look at fantasy, horror, and science fiction, and talk about them sometimes with the guests sometimes by myself but always with an eye to the stuff that maybe has slipped off your radar if it was ever on your radar so go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or type martian drive-in podcast into itunes and enjoy a bit of decent genre talk and keep watching the skies 
Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. that screamed 1970 unless you're in the united states and then it probably came out in 1971 right or maybe 1970 it gets a little iffy and that's something that i've learned about these movies mm -hmm. is that uh, my initial thoughts on the house that screams release date was 1969 mm -hmm. but it turns out that it's that uh from the director's lips himself the film came out in uh, february of 1970 in spain and then proceeded to play for 13 months mm. yeah. uh, in yeah. Spain, raking in a lot of mm. moolah. So we have that uh, we have that to go by. So apparently, uh, according to the New York Times review, <clears throat> at least for them, uh, it came out in '71, uh, sometime in July of '71. And uh, I think it's fun to look back at contemporary <laughs> reviews of films. <laughs> Films that have been uh, greatly... Uh, let it, yeah, let us say that it's kind of hard to find the true Euro-horror aficionado amongst contemporary reviewers, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's true. Because, for one thing, the idea of, of you know, of there being a Euro-horror as a genre didn't even exist. It was more like, uh, what's playing, you know, what's this playing at the drive-in here? That's, you know, good. <laughs> good, good way to put it. Because okay. here, I, folks, I shall read to you a portion of the review of this film. From July 22nd, 1971, from the New York Times, by A.H. Wheeler. 
Here's how it begins. Incredible, even an indulgent viewer must conclude, is the precise word for the incredible two-headed transplant and the house that screamed. The dual helping of Jerry-built horrors that was dished up in pleasing colors at local houses yesterday. Unfortunately, this is this potentially mixed bag of abnormal surgery and abnormal education merely adds up to tepid, not diverting, chilling fare. Mm-hmm. In the Spanish-made, largely English-dubbed House That Screamed, Lily Palmer, as the militantly strict widowed operator of a turn-of-the-century French school for teenage girls, is faced with a variety of strange problems. Her pupils obviously care more for a visiting woodsman, other girls, and her son, who is a strange peeping Tom type, than they do for Moliere, sewing, or the niceties of cuisine. And they can't be blamed for wanting to break out of this gloomy manse, since several of their classmates already have mysteriously disappeared. That's as far as I'll go with his review. Yeah. But I was going to say, actually, that, that dip server is a very nice synopsis of the story there, so you know, true, it actually sums true. it up pretty well. Well, <laughs> eh, but at the same time, I mean, as tepid. far as the plot, he calls it, he calls it tepid. But well, would, no, no, I mean, I don't agree with that, but I'm just talking about, talking about the plot. Plot-wise, he actually yeah. laid it out pretty, pretty nicely as, as a synopsis of what's going on. So Now, here's the thing. Uh, he's going on uh, a double feature version mm-hmm. of this. This is the cut down Americanized That's version That's of the true. film yeah. that came out uh, shorn of uh, ten or eleven minutes. Mm-hmm. And I will say that uh, one of the beauties, the, the current Scream Factory Blu-ray that mm-hmm. we all that we recommend highly yes, that you go and seek out. Definitely. We're not going to bury the lead on this. This is a great film if you're a fan of, of, of Spanish horror, if you're a fan of horror from the period, if you're a fan of Gothic horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a fan of uh, creepy old house stories, this one's for you. Go get the Blu-ray. It's uh, it's not pricey. There's some nice extras. Uh, the film looks fantastic. And the, the only downside to the way the film looks is that um, the segments that were trimmed out mm-hmm. for the American release don't mm-hmm. look as good. They've been reinstated. You can right. watch it. You can watch either version of the film off the Blu-ray. And the longer version, which is the one I'll recommend, and I'm, oh, I'm assuming... Oh, yeah. definitely, yeah. Well, like I said, I didn't watch. I didn't even bother to watch the short, the shorter version. Yeah. To the truth, I probably should have, you know, just to see what they chose to cut. But I didn't get around to doing that. Well, I'll but, be honest. If if memory serves, if if you if you notice, but, but you're right. I mean, I can. You, no, you're right. Because you watch the extended, you can sort of see the things yeah the that, the, you know. the, the, the lesser quality video image of a cer- of certain yeah. scenes will tell you that came from a different source, mm-hmm. and that that is that is what got trimmed out. In general, I think that's true, and, and that is a shame, but. Quite honestly, most of the film, I'd say easily 90% of the, well, 85% of the film, minus those scenes, they look phenomenal. Oh, it looks fantastic, yeah. It's such a beautifully shot, beautifully photographed movie. Because we should say off the bat, this film was actually a big budget. I mean, they put time and money into this film. And this was considered considered an A-list film for Spain, you know. Yes. Well, I mean, I'll... uh, uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this piece of information. You're, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. An intriguing document survives regarding the importance of La, Res- La Residencia to its creators. It appears to be a promotional piece intended for English language industry members only. Uh, it goes like this. <clears throat> it is our intention that this film will be, for us, a stepping stone from which we can break into the international market. The present Spanish film production, considered as commercial, is created solely for the internal market. Few, very few, are the films which, in the entire history of the Spanish cinema, have gained normal box office takings in foreign cinemas. The House That Screamed has been made in an attempt to combine artistic success with the commercial, 
We know that this is very difficult, but if we succeed, we will have won the first great battle. So understand that they were well aware of what they were doing. That's the reason they put money into this. They took four months. They went on location. They took their time and made this film as carefully and as well as they could because they were trying to break into the international market finally. And they succeeded. Well, internationally, but not in America. And it's as I say, it's a, it's it's it is it makes it even more of a shame that the film did not score in America. Because had it scored in America, then we might have seen more of this time and money put into subsequent Spanish horror films. Uh, you know, what, true, the, true. The, the conditions you're describing there are ones that Paul Nash probably would have drooled over. You know, to have known to have like been able to have spent that kind of had that kind of budget and time for the movies that he, that he made. And it wasn't until uh, a year or, uh, depending on the American release date, a year or two later, that The Werewolf and the Vampire Women, mm-hmm. a.k.a. AKA Werewolf mm-hmm. Shadow, mm-hmm. is the film that did yeah, find It was the actually the big hit, yeah. yeah. That, that's the one that broke it in America and mm-hmm. was a huge hit everywhere. Mm-hmm. So um, much, like, uh, much like the Italian, uh, just like uh, Django did mm-hmm. for a certain segment of the, the, the uh, spaghetti westerns directed by someone not named Sergio Leone, mm-hmm. Werewolf Shadow, a.k.a. Vampire, uh, Werewolf and the Vampire Women, did what they were hoping mm-hmm. the house that screamed would do. So, um, but what does it? But but the the with the difference in what that meant for Spanish cinema is probably they looked at it like oh you know carefully constructive psychological. You know, horrors like House That Screamed aren't going to make it, but we put the werewolf and vampires and, you know, and and, and naked women. And don't get me wrong, I love Werewolf Shadow, but, you know, that probably the message it sent to the Spanish industry is we don't have to... We we can still get by with, you know, as long as we we got the sensationalism and the the monsters in there and, you know, we don't necessarily have to... Throw the yeah, budget in. We the don't time really have to spend too, yeah. that much time and yeah. spend that much. You know, yeah, yeah. you're you're right. You're right. So I, I guess in a way that um, you know you you can look at Spanish cinema from 1969 to about 1970 or 71, kind of throwing every you know throwing a mm, lot yeah, of different things at the right, wall to see right. what stuck. Yeah. And then once something stuck, mm-hmm. you plow that fertile ground until nothing grows from it anymore. Sure. Yeah. And of course that took five or six years and it mm-hmm. was over. Yeah. But the uh, that period of time, oh huh, man. What a glorious, yes, what was. a glorious, glorious time! <laughs> so let's talk about. Uh, well, let's. I tell you what. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the, the uh, plot of the thing. And I want to announce up front that we're we're going to try really hard to not really spoil the end of this film because we're aware that this is um, not a, this film is not as well known as we wish it were, mm-hmm. and we don't want to uh, have people scamper away from it. They can. I think that we're going to attempt to allow you to listen to us talk about it and praise it and 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 talk it up. And possibly ruin your <laughs> your your appreciation of it at some future point in time, but not necessarily spoil it. Right. Uh, there is a point I want to make about the end of the movie, but I'll try to do it in a roundabout fashion, and uh, we'll see how far we go yeah. with that. Yeah. But there's a lot in the movie. It's a beautiful film. It's a well. Uh, it's a, it's a really well constructed film, as you mentioned a moment ago. Mm-hmm. I love the music. I think the music is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The cinematography and the camera work. Uh, there are long tracking shots mm-hmm. in this movie mm-hmm. that I, throughout this uh, throughout these opulent sets that I think are just wow. They're they're amazing. They're and amazing. I'll say right now, I, I'll point them out when we get to them. But I think there are there are a couple of of segments in the film that I think are as good as anything I've ever seen I think are just absolutely brilliant you know the yeah, way they're filmed yeah, so yeah. we'll mention those as we get to them well and I will say I'm gonna I'm gonna before we start talking in depth about the uh, the the story and get into some of the details I do want to say that very clearly there's an element from this movie 
stolen just outright from Psycho, from Alfred Hitchcock's film mm-hmm, Psycho, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is that there is a character that you think is going to be your main character, your, mm-hmm. the character you're going to follow from beginning to end, yeah. who does not make it. Right. To right. the end of the film. Mm-hmm. She makes it only about two-thirds of the way through. And the character that then becomes the focal point of the film is probably one of the least last ones you would have chosen. You would have yeah. thought. Yeah. <laughs> you, you would have thought that this is, you know, really the villain of the piece. Uh-huh. And uh, in a way, she this particular character is, mm. but she's your lead character yeah. for the last act of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. I love this movie. Yeah. Okay. As you may have already ascertained from something I've already said, uh, we the, the setting of the film is a, is a French boarding school in the uh, late 1800s. And it's a very isolated place. The opening, uh, the opening sequence of the film that plays under the credits mm-hmm. gives you the <laughs> kind of really sets the scene by letting you know just how far away from anyone else or any village of any type this thing is, and uh, punctuates it with the very last image of the credit sequence being uh, the gates that lead mm-hmm. to the place being locked tight mm-hmm. with the chain and a big padlock. Now this is a boarding school for. Uh, I guess what you would call wayward or troubled girls. Mm. In other words, this is a place mm. where girls are sent in general to mm. uh, because they've done something wrong. They've been uh, they've been uh, rebellious, or they've been now. And this list, this is right at the turn of the century, at the early nineteen hundreds, right at the early nineteen hundreds. Well, no, no, the the, the late 1900s. late late. Late 1900s. Oh, that's what I meant. Yes, I'm sorry. Well, not 19... I mean, not late, late 1800s, I think, is what we're trying to oh, say. Oh, I'm sorry. L- sorry yes, late, yes. late... Oh, you're right. Late, <laughs> yes. Late 19th century, there which you is go. the late 1800s. <laughs> yes. But Jesus. Well, I was going to say, at this particular time, it didn't take a whole lot for a girl to, to be... Uh, Labeled as trouble, you know. She might have just read a book, you know, or she might have just want, or not read a book. It's okay to read books. She might have wanted to write a book, and that would have and that would her definitely in, put her in a bad way. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to use. Uh, uh, but, oh, well, I was going to say what I love about this film is that it actually takes a little while to really tell you that that's what this school is. I like the way that it doesn't really say it up front. Although no. if you're paying attention, the fact they're padlocking it should tell you something. It should but tell the, you something. But really, it's about 15 minutes in the film before they actually just say outright that this is a school for you know for troubled women. I like the troubled women. I like the way that it, it kind of holds you back from telling telling you exactly what's up here. Well, this is. Um, I'm going to use a, a rundown of the plot that's written by a fellow named uh, Michael Orlando Icario. Uh He wrote this. He wrote a piece about this movie about uh, seven or eight years ago for Film Facts, and I think this is a great breakdown of the film that allow you and I mm-hmm. okay. to uh, jump into it at any point that we wish and kind of uh, mm-hmm. talk about the various elements of the movie that stand out for us or that make it, uh, make it good mm-hmm. or strange or mm-hmm. brilliant. Sometimes mm-hmm. brilliant, mm-hmm. I would have to say brilliant. So um, this is a boarding school that I would say is strictly administered. <laughs> yes. Uh, the headmistress is Madame Fourneau, who's played by Lily Palmer, and uh, she notes without overstatement that uh, most of these girls have not led exemplary lives. Now, that's her first mm-hmm. opening statement yeah. about them. Right. Um, eventually, we do learn that, the. I mean, it becomes obvious that the place is a convenient disposal spot for undesirables by their families, provided Miss Fourneau is uh, paid the requisite mm-hmm. tuition in mm-hmm. advance. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising that these students, quote-unquote students, mm-hmm. that range in age from 15 to 21, mm-hmm. are often very disobedient. Uh, at one point, we even learned that someone, some of them have unsuccessfully tried to poison her. <laughs> so Forno must sometimes practice harsh me- measures to maintain order. 
This might include uh, periods of solitary confinement mm-hmm. spiced with a thorough whipping for good yes, measure. Yes, yes. <clears throat> but Forno appears to relish the rigors of her profession, sometimes even to an unhealthy degree. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll talk a little yeah, bit about that. Yeah, there's some definite uh, unhealthiness in this film going uh-huh. on. <laughs> Not unexpectedly, several of her charges have re- have reported are reported to have escaped, but this proves to not be entirely true. Into this setting enters our main character, mm-hmm. Teresa, played by Christina Galbo. Although uh, better behaved than the other girls, and quite demure it seems, it is later discovered that she is concealing a questionable past of her own. Soon enough, she becomes involved with Louis, that would be uh, the headmistress's son, Played by John Mulder Brown. Yes, indeed. Whose life has been completely dominated by his mother. Indeed, Teresa is not the first of the girls with whom he has become secretly acquainted. Aware of these clandestine meetings, his mother reprimands him repeatedly, for she will not allow him to waste his future with any of the gutter snipes under her command. Instead, Lewis must find the kind of strong, capable young woman that Fornio was herself many years ago. (laughs) For all the headmistress's efforts, little is accomplished in the way of refining her unruly pupils. This is displayed through a continual contrast between the girls' enforced domestication and their own rebellious behavior. During evening prayers, a particularly disobedient student is flogged in a cell reserved for solitary punishment. Now let's be, uh... (laughs) Let's let's get into this, because one of the things, there's a lot to discuss in this movie. And we haven't even gotten to the Mm. point where somebody gets killed, so... Mm, Right. Let's talk about um, how well cast this movie is. Oh, I think the cast is fantastic okay. in this film. Let's start with the headmistress, played yes. by Lily Palmer. Now, this is an amazing actress. One who, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, I don't think I've seen any of the classic Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Or even the German movies. She's a German actress who, mm-hmm. who had, a, had a big Hollywood mm-hmm. career. I've mm-hmm. not seen any of her performances in any other films. Mm-hmm. And after rewatching this and getting a really good look at this in high <laughs> definition, I have to mm-hmm. admit... Mm-hmm. I really should look up some of these movies and just mm-hmm. start plowing through them. Uh, if, if they start turning up on Turner Classic Movies, I'm going to have to go ahead and check them out because mm-hmm. she's <clears throat> phenomenal she is. in she this is. film. She gets across so many layers mm-hmm. of character and so many mm-hmm. nuances of emotion that it stuns me at times to see her performance. She is... There's no other word for it. She's brilliant. There's a. There's a... There are multiple points in the movie where on first viewing you're aware that she's concealing something or Mm. she's confused about something Mm. or there's something going on under the surface we're unaware of or there's something she suspects but not enough to say something and when you watch it a second time knowing Mm -hmm. the things and how they the things uh, about the story that play out the way they do you know what she knows at certain points in the story and watching her makes her performance even stronger because the things that you know now that she already knows or is confused about or is concealing become evident and it's all there on her face, in her body language, in the way she holds her hands, the way she tilts her head. Mm -hmm. It's astonishing. She is amazing in this movie. She is. And I'm going to say something about Lily Palmer here, and this is going to be my my film geek over thinking way too much about things in a moment to know here, but I have to to say this. I have to say this because 
I, when I was f- first watching this film, and now I'll say, I, you and I know had seen this film several years ago. We yeah. watching. I had never seen it before at all, so it was a great discovery for me, you know, and had gone into this when we were going to the episode on it, never having seen it before. I'm watching it, and there's something about Lily Palmer that's, I'm, something that's, as I'm watching the film, that's calling me back, I'm like, you know, that seems incredibly familiar with her, okay? Yeah. I had, then I remembered that I, actually it wasn't, I can't even say I remembered, it was when I was looking up her filmography. It finally rung a bell, what I've been thinking of, that a few years ago, I saw a film that she made in 1958 that's called Matching in Uniform. And in this film, she plays, get this, she plays a teacher at a girls' boarding school. Not the headmistress, but a teacher at a girls' boarding school. A new girl comes to the school, played by Romy Schneider, who develops a, shall we say, unnatural fixation upon upon her teacher. (laughs) Shall we say lesbianism? Yeah, we'll say that. And uh, it was not, now that affection is not returned by Lily Palmer in the film, but... Because of the, the scandal and the chaos that this new girl causes with this affection that she has for the teacher, it does cause uh, Lily Palmer to lose her, she does lose her position, right? So okay. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so now we get, like, think about this film, think about that character. Now, what, what, was, the, what was the name of that The film was called Machen in Uniform. Okay, okay. It made in 1958. So think about this. Now, that character that she played in that film, like, what kind of role, if she wanted, if she wanted to continue an education, what kind of, of position would she likely get? <laughs> the headmistress of a school for troubled girls, right? And in the meantime, <laughs> think about it. In the meantime, she's had this son, you know, and... Uh, you oh, know, yeah, and, so, so at some point, she's experimented with heterosexuality. Yes, 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 and she's, you know, but she's also aware of the dangers of, you know, of she's wanting to protect him from, you know, the dangers of girls. So The dangers of these horrible, these yes. horrible, horrible girls. But, yes, yeah, so that was just hilarious. I really would love to know if Sarador had at least seen that film and had her in mind because of that film, and I'm not saying that he thought any further on than that, but I was just saying, like, I realized, like, my God, this works as a, this actually could work as a direct sequel to Machen in Uniform. <laughs> it would be fascinating, it would be fascinating to uh, to put that question to him, because it's very possible that he was aware of that film and aware of that mm. performance in that mm. role, and therefore saw her, at this point, ten years later, yeah, maybe just thought perfect like it would be the, yeah, perfect. <laughs> but but uh, it, the, the, the word from a couple of interviews with some of the actresses are that, uh, Sarah Dorr, the director, definitely mm-hmm. doted on Lily Palmer. Yeah. He treated her with a, an amazing amount of respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that he knew that she was the linchpin of this, that if this right. film was going to work, then it was going to take an actress of her strength and her, her mm-hmm. abilities. Mm-hmm. And so um, seeing her, seeing that this role is so similar to a previous role, yeah. boy, that makes a shit ton of sense now. Yeah. Boy, yeah. that makes it, that makes a lot of things clear <laughs> yeah. in a certain way. I, that's amazing that you actually saw that film because like I say, I look back, I look back at her long mm. career and I could not name a single one of her yeah. films that I was aware of that I'd seen. Apparently she's in uh, Gordon Hessler's Murders in the Rue Morgue. Uh, now, okay, I, now that, I, 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 figured, that, I, that I think I have seen, but honestly I can't swear think, about it. I think if it's but that, been... But that came after this? and I was, Oh, right. I see what you're saying. You're yeah, saying prior to yeah, yeah, anything. Yeah, that came prior, after right, this. Right, right, yeah. And so, I, like I say, I was looking back because she was an incredibly well-regarded oh, yeah, award-winning yeah. actress mm-hmm. from, you know, through, throughout the 50s and 60s and I think into the 40s. I think that may have been when her career started. I have to look back again, but you know, you look at her, look at that long list of credits in the fifties and sixties, and you're like, "Good Lord, she was acting with major Hollywood stars." We're not joking around here. This woman mm-hmm. was in the big leagues, mm-hmm. and jeez, it's. I mean, her, her her obvious talent is on display in this film. And one thing that again, just the kind of the, the one thing that added the other layer to me, having seen that previous film, was also as we were about to get into her uh, her relationship 
with this tro- with this student yes. who's causing all this trouble. If you look at the scenes and think about her character and what happened uh-huh. to that character wow. in that other film, is like really lends another extra, which again maybe only Sarador was aware of if he was aware of it at all. But it's just something that was fun for me to like think like to kind of connect these dots. Is that well? Now let's not. Yeah, let, I, I'm not willing to put anything past mm-hmm. uh, Sarador as a director yeah. and as sure. a writer. Uh, well, uh, this is a, a, a the, by the way the screenplay for this he wrote himself. Mm-hmm. He wrote right. it under he wrote it under a pseudonym, right? So that his his name wouldn't be as as writer director but he wrote the screenplay or apparently adapted it from a story mm-hmm. uh, regardless this this is his baby mm-hmm. uh, and it's very clear that it's his vision mm-hmm. um, he was at that point in time respected enough and uh, had enough uh, cachet within Spain to be able to do this to his own taste mm-hmm. and it's clear that he did the lesbian aspect of this film I have to say that the first time I saw the movie some of it is overt. Uh, mm. No, it's well, not. See, well, well, not in the way that it's obvious. We should say, say well, yes, but, but we should say, overt. we should say right here. If 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 you're hearing that this is a Euro Euro horror film set <laughs> in a girls' school, and you're going into it hoping to see, like, say, Jess Franco's uh, approaches to lesbianism, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, me, this is lesbianism yeah. is very much in this film, but not maybe in the way in the salacious way that you're hoping that it is. It's, I, it's, it's, I, yeah. it's pretty and much I, it's pretty much pretty understated across the board. By standards of by, by, standard, by shock standards by shock know. standards by standards that would be the norm in say yeah. five to six years right, right. after this film mm-hmm. came out. Mm-hmm. So let's let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. this is a Spanish-made horror film slash damn near a women in prison film. Yeah, yeah. To be to be honest, it has a lot of those elements. It, it has a lot of women in prison elements. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's an all-girls school. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are murders happening. Mm-hmm. There are the things that you would expect to happen if you lock a bunch of women mm-hmm. who are between the ages of 15 and 21 mm-hmm. in a large place mm-hmm. all by themselves. But if you are expecting rampant nudity, mm-hmm. uh, long sexual s- sequences, uh, mm-hmm. vicious rubbing of, of, of <laughs> Camera, genitals, ca- cameras, it's just not going cameras to zeroing in on vaginas and right, all right. that, you're not going to get you're that. Not, you're not going to get that. What you have here is something that. Let's put it this way: This movie, when it was when it was released in the United States, was released with the rating of GP. Yeah, yeah, right. Which would be a couple mm. of years later, just PG. Right. Because there's nothing overt right. in the film. Mm. It's obvious. It's just beneath beneath the surface. Mm. The actors, the, or the I should say, the actresses, are good enough to pull off inferring a number of things without making yeah. it yeah. without just coming out and say, stating it outright yeah the performances are so natural I mean they really what I like about so I like the fact that the cast plays the is playing the age of the girls the fact that you know if you look yeah. at the cast of all the actresses who play the girls they all range from 16 to early 20s and they tell you in the film that's what age these girls are and so it, it, it works perfectly you know that they, they're actually playing their age uh, and, and, and they have a great chemistry with each other even John Mulder Brown playing the, yeah. the headmistress of son. He was 18 when they yeah. made this movie. And Yeah, and he had been... I just want to say real quick, I love John Mulder Brown, and he's actually... He's, he began acting at age of five, so he was actually yeah. already a veteran by the time he made this film. But he, he sort of started out his career, uh, in, especially in some of these horror films, playing usually playing fairly troubled... Uh, uh, young man, uh, I think he was in another film that was very controversial called The Deep End. Uh, yes. which, uh, but the film that I love him for is my very favorite vampire film, which is Vampire Circus. He's in that uh, yes, for Hammer is. films. Yes, he is. Well, I mean, let's talk about the uh, the other actresses. The, mm-hmm. the, t- the two the two main actresses that we, uh, besides Lily Palmer, mm-hmm. to talk about are Christine Galbo, mm-hmm. who uh, a few years later turned up 
doing a fantastic job in Living Dead in Manchester yeah. Morgue, which of course we've covered here on on the Beyond Nashy stuff. Yeah, it's amazing how how that's just four years later, and yet she seems so much older in that film than she is here. Yes. You know, it's yes. it's amazing how that how that's changed. Just the way she plays the characters, uh, how that you uh, give that perception that it's that much further in years. Well, just a couple of years after this, mm-hmm. uh, she plays uh, a, another another young girl at roughly the age that you know. Mm-hmm. As a, she plays mm-hmm. another high school girl, mm-hmm. uh, having a little affair with her teacher in uh, "What Have You Done to Solange?" Yep, which is a fantastic giallo. If you've never seen it, I recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is very good. And then a little while after that, she was also in. Uh, I mean, well, around actually, just around the same time, she was in "Riot in a Woman's Prison," which would have brought, uh, which would have brought to bear some of the ideas that she yeah. uh, played, that she yeah. plays with in this particular movie as well. And uh, we'll go and say too that uh, I know you're about to talk about our other major actress and all, but I also want to say here that the girl um, uh, we have another Euro horror famous, uh, familiar face that uh, plays Isabel uh, is Maribel Martin, who uh, is the girl that. The character of Lewis, the first girl that he's kind of been seeing behind right. his mother's back, and uh, she would later become famous in the uh, Blood Spattered Bride and A Bell from Hell, and she's actually 16 years old in, uh, when she's making this film here. And then, of course, there's uh, Irene, played by mm-hmm. the by mm-hmm. the actress Mary Maud, who was a, a, a trained ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I, when I learned things like that, there are certain scenes in this movie that just make it all the more erotic because. Mm-hmm. She's a she's a dance anyway. Yes, uh, sorry, sorry, off, went off into an area that I shouldn't have gone there. You'd have liked to have been the woodsman here, I think. But this, but she's scenario. the uh, she plays Irene and she's extremely good in this because she mm, is yeah. the uh, wow. She's the head bitch basically. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the best the way to put it. Queen bitch of the of the yeah. She's the uh, the I guess the. Uh, but there's always in these films. There's always whether they're boy school or girl schools. There's always the ones who are kind of the seen as the. Kiss ass to the you know to or always seen as the way. always seen as the head. they're the enforcer they they're, are the enforcers of the rule of the rule there yeah. if this were a prison she would be a trustee yeah there you go yeah yeah and she is uh, she has keys to the various doors that mm-hmm. no one none of the other uh, students have I almost said prisoners mm-hmm. <laughs> she, has, <laughs> she has keys to the various doors she has a certain amount of authority mm-hmm. and to get back to the lesbianism theme mm-hmm. she is the person put in charge of doing the actual physical whipping mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the girls who have misbehaved. And rather seems to enjoy it. And, and, uh, and She does, she does, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah. Um, but let's talk about that scene where we see the disobedient girl. Who, by the way, I could not... Did you find any information on that actress at all? Because oh, we were no, trying to I'm find so, it. No, well, I, I couldn't... It's, I she looks so familiar to me. She looks so familiar. Her name is Pauline... Challenger, I think. Pauline, I don't know if it's, I guess it's pronounced Challenger, Challenger or Challenger. Uh, but she plays this character called alternately either Catherine or Catalina, who's the, yeah. uh, and, and I did not really find any information or anything to link her else to, but she just looked really familiar to me. I feel like I've well, seen her in something else. Well, she's got an incredibly else. cute face. She's yeah. very pretty, mm. and she's pretty in a way that um, she's got a little bit of an, of, uh, of an overbite, and there's just mm. something very sexy about her. Mm. And the thing is, especially later on in the uh, shower scene, she's very evidently playing up the the, the beauty of her, of her mm. face. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the thing about the whipping scene... Before you distract me with <laughs> with, <laughs> with with information that we don't have, just useless facts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about the whipping scene is that he can play it over and over. No, uh, <laughs> the thing about the whipping scene. <laughs> the thing about the whipping scene is that um, the girl is disobedient. She's disobedient in an overt and obvious and just in your face mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. It's as if she's wanting. 
to mm-hmm. be put in solitary and that she's wanting to elicit some kind of punishment. And so the headmistress walks in with her head enforcer and two helper enforcers. Mm-hmm. Asks the disobedient girl to apologize. She refuses. She's she's stripped and whipped, basically. Yes. So they strip her, mm-hmm. and she is whipped. Mm-hmm. Now that scene plays out as a yeah. sadomasochistic wet dream. I mean, it is exactly mm-hmm. the kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. not changed very much at all. Mm-hmm. Could be a scene right out of a seventies porno film, mm-hmm. just without certain mm-hmm. elements. Mm-hmm. And to top it off, once the whipping scene is over, but, and, but talk about what's going on at the same time that this whipping scene is happening. What do they keep? What are they cutting oh, back and forth oh, between? Well, which is brilliant. Also, okay, that is that's just brilliant filmmaking. You're yeah. right. I was going to simply but, concentrate yes, on yeah. getting to the end of the scene. I wanted yes. to, I wanted to finish. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yes. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, brilliantly intercut with the scene of the whipping mm. are all the other girls at prayer. Yeah, yeah. And it's this. That's one of the things that I want to talk about a, a good deal, which sure. is that this is a bit of a subversive film in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's a very subtle way because mm-hmm. unless you want to see this stuff, as with all things of this type, you're just not, you're, you don't have to pay attention to it. You don't have mm-hmm. to see it. Mm-hmm. You can just be titillated or mm-hmm. appalled or, mm-hmm. or frightened or excited or just whatever surface mm-hmm. emotion that the film is willing to put into your head. You can ride with that and have a good time. But... Clearly, by juxtaposing those two <laughs> things, Serador yeah, yeah. is setting up mm-hmm. the idea as quickly as he can mm-hmm. that if you pay attention, there's more here. Yeah. If you pay yeah. attention, I'm talking about something more than just the surface things mm-hmm. on view. Mm-hmm. And I love this in this movie because there are a lot of things to see here. Mm-hmm. And I fear I may go, as you said a few minutes ago, I may go a little too deep. <laughs> and it may seem that I'm seeing some things there that people might sneer at or laugh at or think that I've gone off the crazy pool. But you're right. There's no way to avoid that he is putting together, forcibly editing together, the scenes of these other girls at prayer and this whipping scene. And then to get to the end of the whipping scene, he caps both of those sequences of the movie, the three girls, the three enforcer girls leaving the room, and the headmistress, headmistress saying behind, and in what the first time you see this movie, you think that what you're about to see is the headmistress comforting this girl in some way. Yeah, trying to saying something along the lines of, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Some cliche of, along those lines that no mm. child who's just been beaten is ever going to believe. Mm. But what happens instead? Twists. Mm-hmm. Everything you've just seen, even darker than it had been already. Because what happens is this girl's bare back, laid there bloody, just beaten as she cries into this pillow on this bed. And this headmistress leans over and whispers to her and kisses her back. Kisses her wounded back. Yeah, this is a great moment. And what's amazing is... You watch Lily Palmer's face. You watch this actress Mm -hmm. in this sequence. This is a woman who is well aware that no one, not even the girl she's with in that room, can see her face. And you can see Mm -hmm. the repressed nature Mm -hmm. of her sexuality Mm -hmm. on view. Yeah. And and that kiss on that back Mm -hmm. is the crack. Mm -hmm. The crack that lets you see inside that woman's head. Mm-hmm. It's 
an amazing moment. Yeah. There's more later on. There's more later on in the film mm-hmm. that shows this kind of stuff as well that points to this repressed sexuality. Of course, repressed sexuality is something we could use for pretty much every character in this film. Yes. But that is a brilliant scene. Well, have you thought about your behavior this afternoon? Yes. Are you ready to apologize in front of your friends? Mademoiselle Z, I'm talking to you. Answer me. Get up. Get up! You're a very bad influence, not only on your friends, but on the other girls as well. I will not stand for your insolence any longer. Why don't you throw me out? Nothing I would like better. But your people insist that you must stay. This is not the first time that I must punish you. Remember? Now for the last time. Will you come down with me now and apologize in front of everybody? All right. Take off your clothes. This is an order. Take off your clothes. This time you will have to do it. As you wish. Go on. it's late. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Thou art our refuge and our shelter. Thou shalt be our shield and our strength. In the Now, we've indicated that, besides the headmistress, the villain of the piece really is Irene, played Mm -hmm. by Mary Maud. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, it's very evident with our main character, Teresa, coming into this new place. She's our introductory uh, character. She's the one who, while being shown around the place Mm -hmm. and being uh, introduced to the ins and outs of how things are run and how Mm -hmm. things are done, she is our point-of-view character. So, of course, (laughs) Mm -hmm. much like a, uh, a certain character in Psycho, we figure that she is mm. the character we're going to follow from beginning mm. to end. She mm. will be our uh, our protagonist, our hero. She'll probably be our last girl as all the other girls are slaughtered one by one. Precisely. Yeah. So this is what we're expecting. And so the movie plays that game for quite a long period mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. There's a great sequence where Teresa, our new girl, is brought in and spoken to very carefully, offered tea by Irene, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Uh, head mm-hmm. bitch, as right, you put it. Right. And explained how things run, how they run smoothly, and how you Mm -hmm. can fit in. Now, it would be very easy to watch this scene and think that that's what this is. This is someone Mm -hmm. establishing dominance, Mm -hmm. explaining the uh, the pecking order, Mm -hmm. and getting across the idea of what your place in this little society is Mm -hmm. so that you can fall in line and or not fall in line and suffer the consequences. just depends on how you, as a person, decide to play your hand. Mm -hmm. But as you watch with a mind to having already been right. introduced to the idea of the headmistress having some repressed lesbian tendencies, mm-hmm. 
And it's also evident in this scene that Irene, mm-hmm. <laughs> the head bitch, yeah, yeah, just might be queen bitch. Yeah, yeah. Because it's obvious that she's making a sexual overture to Teresa at mm-hmm. the same time as yeah, she is yeah. imparting all this information. Mm-hmm. So if this needed to be made any clearer, there's a scene later in the movie where Teresa is brought down to the basement where when when the door is unlocked and she's brought in by one of the other girls, the one who unlocks the door and comes up is readjusting her clothing <laughs> right. as if she's putting her clothing back on. <laughs> right, right. Now, once we're in the basement, it can be you can think one one of two mm. things, mm. neither of which is mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive ideas, but one, they're down there and they're painting paintings of each other nude. Yeah, which is something yeah. they would obviously not be able to get away right. with under the this, under this the, whole little hidden area they've set up. There's kind of an ode to sapphic affections, as it, right, you know, right, so, right. Yeah. And you can just see this as ah, oh, she's putting her clothes back on because she was she's modeling, modeling for nude. Irene. Yeah, right. She was modeling nude. Or, mm-hmm. since there doesn't seem to be any wet paint anywhere in evidence, <laughs> or maybe we're just not shown the wet paint. That's true. One wonders if there was something else wet happening. Yes, yes, yes. I was wondering if you were going to go <laughs> yes, there. Yes, yes. I, I, can't resist the, the, I can't resist such, uh, uh, such hideous uh, wordplay. My apologies uh, to everyone. But, the sexuality on display. There are sequences in this movie where it boils over. Yeah, yeah. There are... Se- okay. One of the things that in that opening the, the opening scene of, of introduction of information between shall we say protagonist and antagonist mm-hmm. if that's we're going to have is that how if that's yeah. where, how yeah, we're going to sure. see Teresa sure. and Irene uh, Irene explains that uh, there is a sexual outlet for the girls mm-hmm. roughly once a week mm-hmm. when the uh, local the local man who brings the supply of firewood to the school is on campus and each week. One girl is allowed to slip away. The other girls make make arrangements so mm-hmm. that this person can slip mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. meet the woodsman. I guess we should call him a woodsman. What better term, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Meets him to have sex out in the barn. Now, they do. I mean, they even do when they when they, whether they show it to us. They even do play play up the pun of the rolling the hay because that's no, they exactly, surely, that's that's exactly, exactly how they, they visualize it, which I think is great. But that's another way in which Irene. Mm-hmm exercises her power. And in a way, she's controlling the girl's sexuality. Precisely. And I love the fact that uh, there's so many things in this movie that reflect so perfectly the time it's set in. You know, And yes. one of these things is it's so... Irene, you know, her obvious lesbian affections, you know, like the way that in this society is in, they're so repressed that it makes total sense that she expresses them in terms of cruelty and and painful, you know, because it's it's you know, the, but not only whipping the, and obviously enjoying whipping the girl, but then her obvious later torment of Teresa, you know, she's 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 probably has you know has has great affection and attraction to Teresa, but can't express it, doesn't have any other way to express it in well, see, terms of it. anger you, and, and you, cruelty. You, you know? all you you said it, you said you you almost jumped and you yeah. almost said affection. Right, mm-hmm. but it's not affection yeah. because she doesn't really process things in that way. Right, right. It's a yeah. It's yeah. She does yeah because it's again, an attraction. It, it attraction. It's an attraction. Yes, and it is that. It's that. It's that uh, lust mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you either force down and repress, mm-hmm. or you allow to flower and you find an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Irene seems to have found an outlet for it with her two subordinate girls. Yeah, right. We're not privy to how those relationships work. The film right. doesn't take us no. into that world. Right. But it's very clear that they're not just painting nude pictures of right. each other. Right. 
the fact that Irene holds the keys to not just the doors of the house, mm-hmm. but to mm-hmm. their one sexual yeah, outlet. Yeah, their one, yeah, right. <laughs> the, the one guy they can have mm-hmm. sex with once a mm-hmm. week. And that they they there's like a there's like a, a lottery where they take I think they just take turns they have, yeah, have it yeah, arranged so that right. they take turns. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine having more power over a group of girls yeah. from age fifteen to twenty one. Right. Imagine boys of the same age. Sure, yeah. I mean, if yeah. that was if you had the keys mm-hmm. to the one mm-hmm. outlet, yeah. to have sex mm-hmm. at that age, mm-hmm. the power you would wield would be. Mm-hmm. Mag- I mean, it would be incredible. People, would, I mean, boys, yeah. boys would kill right to get that shot. Mm-hmm. So, I honestly wondered the first time I saw this movie if having that a bit that uh, having that being something that you could dangle out in front of someone as as a as a reward for something if that would not play into uh, the story. But the story has other things on its mind, yeah. yeah. Which I guess is to its credit, but at the same time, it could have easily gone in huh. that direction. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we may have jumped the gun because something that we try to do at the beginning of discussions of these particular films is to always try to talk to you about the alternative titles. The oh, that's right. We the, didn't, we didn't the alternate do, titles. Yeah, right. Um, these are not alternative facts, people. These are, yeah, these are yeah, alternate right, titles. Right. <laughs> these are the titles. That's another horror movie. That's, a, that's, another, <laughs> that's a different thing. These are the uh, alternate titles given, given to La Residencia or The House That Screamed mm. in different countries mm. around the world. I have been hard at work with Google Translate, let me tell you. <laughs> in Brazil, the film was called House of Wishes. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Germany, it was called The Hiding Place. In Italy, it was The Horror of the Girls High School, which <laughs> okay. seems yeah. way too modern a name for it. I'd about to say if they had called it that in the United States, it probably would have done better. <laughs> yeah. oh, you may be right. That's true. Now, in the USA, it was known as The Finishing School. Or the house that screamed. Okay. Now that's two very different. The finishing school, like, really, really sounds like something that you'd bring your like, grandmother to see or something. No, no. no. <laughs> well, think about it. it. Yes and no, depending on the advertising campaign. Because well, yeah, I mean, the if it showed, finishing yeah. school yeah. could where also no, be where, yeah, yeah, where you finish yeah, for where, good where, or something. Where everyone's yeah, finished yeah, for good yeah, or whatever. Right. In Portugal, the name of the film was Internship for Girls. <laughs> Now, I'm not sure if that's some weird yeah, right. translation Translate of like yeah. Yeah. being interned or mm. whatever, but internship for girls. Okay. In Norway, it was called Where Terror Lives, which is a truly generic title. Yes, it is very much so. And as a capper, folks, uh-huh. hang on to your chairs uh-huh. because in Japan, the oh, title no. of this film was Elephant of Erotic Color. <laughs> oh, my God. I checked that one five different times. I couldn't. I, I was like, "You've got to be joking." So now look, I'm not going to stand behind the 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 information of it being called "Elephant of Erotic Color" mm-hmm. in Japan. Mm-hmm. That could be false information, mm-hmm. but it was too good for me to not pass along. <laughs> so um, there you go. Um, yeah. Now at least it wasn't like. Cutie honeys in shorts and you know, and, and girls in short skirts or whatever, something like that. <laughs> well, let's talk about the first murder in this film because, yeah. in a lot of ways, this film could be seen as yet another proto slasher. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's if, if it's a proto slasher, boy, mm. does it have a low body count. It does very low body count. This uh, uh, let's without giving <clears throat> too much away, let's just say that there are uh, less than five 
yeah. murders. But there's a great kind of slow burn through the whole film buildup because I, always through the film you're getting hints of people being watched, things being you know people creeping around corners, people, you know that right. sort of thing to sort of continue to build a little suspense before something actually happens. And it and it does that masterfully. As a matter of fact, there is a point in the movie where I can think I think it would be very easy for a viewer to think that this is some kind of haunted house. Mm, yeah, that exactly. there are ghosts yeah. Yeah. lurking around in this yeah. old edifice, and mm. that's a good. Track for your mind to go down because uh, I think they may want that just a little bit because then it takes your it takes you off track of what's mm-hmm. actually happening because mm-hmm. you know consider this a spoiler to a large degree but there are no ghosts folks right but you're right Dave the first like third of the film you could easily believe that that's what's going on you know we're told that some girls have gone missing right but they're assumed to have escaped they're assumed to have run off they're assumed yeah yeah exactly so the first murder we see is when the film begins the son character. Um, played by John Mulder Brown, mm-hmm. is having a very chaste relationship with one of the girls, one of the fifteen or sixteen year old girls. Uh, I forget, the, I forget the uh, the character's name, but it's clear. That, oh, uh, the girl that that John Mulder Brown likes yes. is Isabel. Oh, that's Isabel. Okay. Well, it's clear. Played by Maribel Martin, and she's cutie. Yes, she is. And the thing is, you but have she's to. She's sixteen at this time, so get your mind out of the game. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, edit, I'll edit my comment about her attractiveness <laughs> out later on. But regardless, it's obvious because we see one of their little rendezvous, and it's clear that these are not two people who have advanced to sex at right, all. Right. Yeah. These are two people who are still figuring out their sexuality and are figuring out how. Mm close they want to be in this that and the other and it's very tentative conversation mm. between the two of them that even though they've snuck off to this out of the way little uh, uh, little room in the house to be alone but it's also clear that the two of them harbor the same desire which is to escape from this place he mm-hmm. wants to escape from his mother mm-hmm. and she wants to escape from the school but mostly she seems to really want to escape with him mm-hmm. I think it's just the next night or a couple of nights later she receives a note ostensibly from him mm-hmm. with a couple of keys telling her to meet him in the uh, I forget, I forget where, oh in the greenhouse to meet her in the to meet him in the greenhouse that night at midnight and here are the keys this one will get you out of the the, the room where everybody sleeps and this mm-hmm. one will get you out the front door meet me at midnight and we'll and we'll you know we'll finally go away together so she manages this in the dark of the night gets down to the greenhouse and is Attacked from behind by some unseen person and stabbed to death. And this is one of the moments I talked about that I think are just reach absolute brilliance is this montage that is the way they film her murder. Yes. Is just an incredible because uh, we're having several images layered over, you know, each other that are all happening in slow motion. Yep. One of them is the hand over her mouth, you know, as the knife is coming down, and slowly blood begins to pour through the, the hand. One of the other images is because it's in the greenhouse. One of the other images as part of the montage are flowers that are there, and as her blood is coming out of over the hand of, out of her mouth, in the same time in the montage, we see the blood hitting the flowers, and I think it's like just uh, one of most uh, an astonishing uh, scene. I think the way it's in this film is just incredible. Well, I, I think that this is a good point in time. You're right. I think I think that it's a mm. first of all, it's a shocking thing because up mm. till now we've not mm. had any violence in the movie outside right. of the whipping scene. Right. So, this murder occurs, and suddenly we now know, okay, we're not dealing with ghosts. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's someone in this place who is killing some of the girls. And since we've already been given the information about some, of the, some other girls having escaped, 
Mm-hmm. One be immediately begins to suspect oh, they may not have escaped. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, may right. have gotten killed. Yeah. So your description of the red mm-hmm. blood, yeah. the green mm-hmm. house, mm-hmm. the flowers, the colors White involved, flowers, yeah, yes, uh-huh. all these various things. I would like to point out that all film, every film you have ever seen in your entire life, draws on movies that came before it. Right. Whether consciously or not, whether yeah. obviously yeah. or not, whether intentionally or mm-hmm. not, all films draw on past cinematic experiences. Mm-hmm. Whether the the filmmakers themselves are drawing on them directly or whether you just having experienced a lot of different movies mm-hmm. you bring that experience with yeah. you when you're watching another film mm-hmm. and any film that is of high enough quality or strikes you at the right age or the right in the right way will have influences on later films on later mm-hmm. filmmakers on later people yeah. who see other movies after they've seen the one that we're discussing mm-hmm. Essentially, every film is a Rorschach test, you know, and you you see it how you see it, you know. Which but specifically, I'm talking about influences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I've mentioned that there's a there's an element taken from Psycho in the storyline for this film. Yes. I would like to tell you right now that your discussion of the colors in that in that first mm-hmm. murder scene mm-hmm. points the way toward uh, an entire genre, mm-hmm. an entire type of film mm-hmm. that was just blossoming in 1969. With the bird, of, bird with crystal plumage, which is the giallo. The giallo, yeah. Okay? Sure. Mm-hmm. And I would take it even further and say mm-hmm. that that filmmaker, Dario Argento, his film Suspiria was highly influenced by this movie. The setting, right. the setting, girl school. Girl school the, uh, yeah. They're even, I mean, they're, it's even a, a dancing school. We've got dancing ballet school. scenes yes. in both movies. Uh, these girls are... In Suspiria, they're they're in their twenties, mm. but the, the original intention for was was going to be much younger. younger. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the colors, all the, the the various color schemes that you're talking mm-hmm. about there, the mm-hmm. uh, the setting, the gothic nature of certain things. Even though in Suspiria, there's a there's a, a modern tinge to a lot of the things as well. But there are some there are a lot of those kinds of elements placed mm. within the mise right. scene as well. Right. House that screams, I think, is a direct influence on Suspiria. Mm-hmm. I think that it may have influenced other films as well, and there's one in specific that I will talk about a little later on because okay. I, I want to be a little oblique about it because I don't okay. want to I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the ending. The, the, right, right, I don't right, want to sure, spoil right. the yeah. ending of this film. Yeah. Beauty. We've talked about the beauty beauty of the cinematography of this film. I would say to you that Suspiria is a visually stunning film. It's oh, yeah. beautiful. It's it gorgeous. Yeah. And it's one of those movies that a lot of people who love Eurohorror will single out and point mm. to and say, mm. "My goodness." It's it's gorgeous. It's just, mm. even if you just turn the sound off, yeah, or yeah, only had yeah. the music cues yeah. playing, you're watching a visual feast. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Suspiria exists without the house that screamed. Period. And I think that some of the visual elements that mm. you just brought up and just yeah. talked about can be seen directly mm. in Suspiria later on. Now, yes, they're mm-hmm. they're blown up and they're yeah. they're done larger mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. more blood and more violence mm-hmm. and and. Uh, with, with multiple colors and with, <laughs> and with stained glass windows and, 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 and razor wire and, and everything and camera, else. much more elaborate camera movement. And of all course, that. of yes, course. Yes. But it is nice to to see, um, well, at least to point to people who, if you're a Eurohara fan who's not seen House of Screamed yet, this is mm-hmm. an antecedent mm-hmm. to Suspiria. And it's very, once you know that, it's very easy to see. specializes in students whose character is, um, shall we say, um, difficult. 
And there are few among them who, in spite of their youth, have not exactly led exemplary lives. In order to bring them back to the right path, I must run this establishment with a firm hand. In every reformatory or boarding school, girls are always running away. until second viewing but one we now that we're at this point in the film I want to talk about uh, we talked about the sequence that led the character of Isabel up to her demise and one of it is she receives this note to go out to the greenhouse you know to meet Lewis out in the greenhouse which is where she's killed in the scene where she she wants to seclude herself to read the note so she goes into one of the you know I guess at that time it would be called a water closet or whatever they're called <laughs> whatever they would call the bad, the toilet yes. you know I don't I don't know if you picked up on this but did you pay any attention to the graffiti that's on the inside of the door as she I did remember I, I remember there being quite a bit of it well, I don't remember specifics I, I didn't I even had to like freeze the frame to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing now of course it's in another language so I can't read I can't translate okay. any of it but what you commonly see is the headmistress's name several times on the door. <laughs> Forno, her name, is written all over it, which makes it obvious these girls have written graffiti about their headmistress, which I thought was, only, I thought, what a great touch, man. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly logical. Yeah, it I mean, does. That's exactly I mean, what would happen, because exactly they, would, they, would, yeah. they would feel fairly safe in doing mm. it there, because yeah. she's not going to come in yeah, here. But, they, they, but it, the film calls no attention to it whatsoever. You literally have to be looking really close, but it's there. But I thought, what a great touch there you know what a great little detail <laughs> that's uh, great thank you thank you high definition blue yes exactly <laughs> God. okay well listen now that we've gotten to the the first murder and i don't know that we're going to discuss many of the other films very very much in the film but i want to dig into the fact that of course now that we have a murder mm-hmm. we're not talking about ghosts mm-hmm. so we've got to start looking around and go hey set up some possible who 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 says possible uh, who's who's the killer kind of yeah, things yeah. we've got to start talking Suspects. about mystery here yeah. Who That's are right. suspects? Who are mm-hmm. the people who uh, put that knife into that little girl? Mm-hmm. And, of course, right up front, we've got two possibilities mm-hmm. we've already talked about. There's mm-hmm. the headmistress. She could be a crazy woman. Yes. She could have killed us. It's clear. She's already mm-hmm. told her told her son mm-hmm. that these mm-hmm. these damn women, yeah. you don't want to get anywhere That's near right. them. But she and even if, calls them poison at one point. She says, these girls are poison. Exactly. Yeah. And, if the, and if she feels that way about these girls, mm-hmm. and she's aware that, that, that her son is spending time right. with this little girl, hey, mm-hmm. time to off her. Mm-hmm. Right? That's right. Could it be Irene? We've already gotten a very sapphic yeah. feeling yes, from her. Yes, we all know from she the, knows if, she enjoys yeah. whipping girls. If there's anything these films teach us is that lesbians are evil and, uh, <laughs> and they're always a killer. So not <laughs> as evil as not as they're evil always killers, yeah, not as e- not as evil as crossdressers, but they are uh, transvestites. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. as evil as transvestites. They're not as, they're not as they evil, evil as transvestites or homosexuals, but my or, or, God. or or people crippled people in wheelchairs who aren't actually crippled. You know, those are those are those, more those evil. Are, those are more evil than those are top notch evil. Those are top notch evil. Yeah. So let's get the hierarchy here. We have well, first of all. I think all women are always suspect. Right. Right. Yeah, They're almost say, always that's evil. That's right. <laughs> uh, men in wheelchairs who aren't really supposed to be in wheelchairs. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's yeah. that's right out there. You, mm-hmm. you got you to be careful with them because God knows what will happen. They may be hiding. Who knows what they're hiding yeah. in that damn yeah. wheelchair? Yeah. Uh, small children who seem too happy. Yes, that's a good uh, one. That's, yes. always, that's always a bad area. Especially when they're off like... 
in pairs playing by themselves and nobody's really paying attention to them, you know. Or if they're talking to invisible entities. <laughs> yes. That's not a good sign. Then you shouldn't trust that. Oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. But, but yes, the cramps taught us that all women are bad and everything I learned about, everything I needed to know about life, I learned from Lux, Lux Interior. Lux so, of course. Yeah, yeah. That should be a t-shirt. Yeah, it should be. That should be a t-shirt. Be, yeah. Everything I learned in life, like, I learned from, from Lux, Lux Interior. Interior. Yeah. That. We're a t-shirt manufacturer. That's Where right. are you? Oh, Lord. Of course, there there is, of course, the t-shirt that I really desperately want, which is, what would Paul Nashie do? What would Paul Nashie do? That's right. We got our wristbands that there. We got our little wristbands that, day, that Dan sent us uh, years ago and all, but that was our, our WWPD, what would Paul do? Uh, no response, oh but, uh, but you're right. We need a shirt with that. What would Paul Nashy do? What would Paul Nashy do? <laughs> that's the that's that's what you should ask at every at every yeah. juncture in your <laughs> life. Do I want well, to take out a woman? We know what he'll do. But uh, <laughs> it's like, do I want to take out this mortgage? <laughs> what would Paul Nashy do? <laughs> oh, he would kill everybody inside and take right. the house. That's yeah. what he'd do. So I can't do that. Wait. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right imagine, back imagine, imagine record scratch sound here, <laughs> yeah. folks. Yes, back on track. So drop the needle on the right track and let's get going so Which we is, have yes, we, ha- we, need our su- we need our suspects yes so we have the headmistress we have, we have irene, irene and a character we've not talked about no. yet, who we only see a couple of times that we're going to get a great introduction to a classic introduction to well let's let's talk let's talk about it because he's mm-hmm. this is a character who's the the handyman the 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 kind mm-hmm. of janitor the Rans- man who runs the boiler room runs and the boiler room he's our uh, our handyman about the place the only the only man other than the the son who is actually mm-hmm. on the premises all the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and he's a character played by Victor, Victor Israel. Israel one of our favorite yes. Spanish character actors let the actors. fanfare begin that's right and this of course considering that he was in White Comanche our last episode we're on makes, a little, makes, <laughs> makes we're on a little Victor Israel <laughs> roller coaster here baby yeah, that's right oh uh, well oh to top it off uh, I just finally a week ago. Finally sat down and watched the uh, Spanish horror film The Witch's Mountain. Oh yes, I've heard about that. Yeah, well, Victor Israel's in that. Is too. he? Oh, so awesome. Vic, yeah, awesome. He, he's he's like this mostly deaf uh, <laughs> uh, hotel owner, oh, yeah. or or kind of innkeeper, I mm-hmm. guess would be the best term for him. And it's just like one of those things yeah. where it's like where you run into a slew of movies with Victor Israel. It's like, well, at least there's <laughs> at least the movie has that going for it. That's right. right. You know, That's right. Yeah, well, Israel. and of course, with his very very strange eyes, you know, he's he's oh, he's, yeah. he's he's the perfect. Person for if he's he just needs def- some. Is, is he the definition of wall eyes? Is he wall and maybe yeah. One wonky eye. I mean, it's that right eye that seems <laughs> completely to never really do what yeah. it's supposed to do. When filmmakers are thinking, you know, we need a character here who's just immediately suspicious, no matter what he's doing, <laughs> and you just hire Victor Israel. And even I love his introduction in this film because poor Teresa, who's you know already like suspected people are following her watching her she's seen doors move by themselves and all these things and she's in the greenhouse and she just turns look at the window and the camera zooms in on, Vic, on Victor Israel's eyes looking in on her and it's just <laughs> that's probably the most terrifying moment in the whole film but, uh, like oh my god Victor Israel <laughs> <laughs> what was but what was more you know because you see him a couple of times early in the film you don't really see all the things he does and what his relation to the school is until after you've heard at some point a reference, you've heard the reference made to the woodsman that visits once a week that the girls go to have sex with, and I swear for a horrifying moment, I thought that... <laughs> <laughs> I thought that I thought that he was the character, and I thought, "Good God, these girls are desperate." I was like, "I would," I was like, "I was like, I, I was like, I would totally be a lesbian first before I would <laughs> before, before I'd have sex with Victor Israel." Victor Israel, sorry, Victor, I love you, but you know. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> 
Well, because well, because at one point when they talk first talk about the woodsman, the girl even says he's not much to look at, and that's maybe even think even more, you know that. But no, no, no. But she doesn't say he's, she doesn't say he's hideous. Yeah, he, she doesn't say would cause frogs to die. I mean, come on. Oh my lord. We're being a little harsh on Victor we are, Israel. We are. I mean, I mean, because especially as he's such a great actor and we yeah, love him, and yeah. he always adds joy to any mm. film that he's in. But it's yeah. Oh, but if you think Paul Nashie wasn't necessarily had leading man looks, you know, I mean, he, he makes Paul Nashie look like Cary Grant. Or, or yeah. Tell me, yeah, Cary Grant in Bringing Up Baby, the, the yeah. most handsome man on the planet Earth. So yeah, there's that. All right, so uh, but we're so glad to have Victor here. You know, saying so Victor is an obvious possible mm-hmm. murderer. He yeah. is there mm-hmm. as a, a suspect. Mm-hmm. There's also. Once his, once the character's introduced and we see him uh, have sex with one of the girls, yeah, there's there the is that woodsman. visiting woodsman. Yeah, that's I mean, right. That's who right. knows that he doesn't find a way back onto the grounds? Exactly right. And off this particular girl, mm-hmm. or maybe he's offing some of these girls. So he's maybe it's yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's also the possibility, strange that it may be, mm-hmm. that it's the son. Yeah, I know. Is even though he just seems like the the all all, all French boy in this case, and all the uh, the uh, you know just a Seems like just a nice, sweet, innocent. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? And he's definitely pampered mm-hmm. by his mother, mm-hmm. and, and she's she's certainly worried about him. It's something about his health all the time, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. seems to be concerned that he mm-hmm. if he goes outside for too long, that maybe mm-hmm. he'll catch his death of cold. Maybe mm-hmm. there's just something. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did, did you get the sense yeah. that this was and this I've, Munchausen by proxy? Yeah, and I'm trying to think. Have we seen films before where uh, a guy was mothered, overmothered so much that it possibly led him to have psychological problems? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not, not at this point. But no, nah, no. Nah, maybe I'm just imagine just projecting there (laughs) i don't know that that ever happens in real life i don't know i think that may be something that you i think you i've never heard of it myself i think you're making it up (laughs) this seems to be a pure invention yeah i agree i agree if this is something maybe i (laughs) maybe you should discuss this with some with a professional i should and see see if this is a plausible (laughs) concept Well, I love the scene with uh, Lewis, and it, I did, once again something I didn't pick up on to the second time I'm watching the film, where he's sitting out, uh, and it, of course he gets in trouble for even doing this. And this is where we talk about his mother gets on him about his health, is because yeah. she catches him outside that he's outdoors. He just he's, he's like, just sitting outside reading. But there's the scene starts with a little ant crawling around inside his book, you know, that he's kind of playing yes. around with, and then he just closes the book on the ant. And I think the most disturbing thing about the scene is that then he just kind of looks away with his sort of placid Lewis face there, you know, and I'm just like. Okay, but I didn't say that the second time around. Going like, okay, that's a sign that this this, this kid may not be all right. But anyway, <laughs> and of course, just the look of Victor Israel is the it tells you yeah, that, that are not we right. know Victor's not right. That's just given right there. <laughs> and surely the the woodsman, if he's getting laid once a week by a different mm-hmm. girl, mm-hmm. clearly. He's not all right, right? I mean, that's that would it. mess you up. If yeah, you got, well, oh, if man, you if you just much, like, I know, it's like, come on. If you had to have sex with a different girl. A man girl. needs consistency, dependability. <laughs> the last thing a man wants is a different attractive girl meeting him in, in, <laughs> in a barn. Him in a barn once a week to have illicit sex, <laughs> illicit consequence-free sex. No man mm. wants that. Mm. Never. Mm. At any point in his life. So anyway, we we should say that uh, the uh, the body of Isabel is not, is not found, and so she is assumed uh, next re- next day. You know, headmistress is raising hell because the girl is not is, has apparently run off. Correct. So once again, having heard about these girls that go missing or quote unquote escape, we've now witnessed mm-hmm. what probably happened in these earlier in these earlier instances mm-hmm. where. Somebody just goes missing. Everybody gets upset and pissed off about it, and mm-hmm. then we move on. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about this film being 
metaphorical if you look for it. It's not very hidden mm-hmm. that there are different things hiding beneath the surface. And we're mm-hmm. not just talking about the, the lesbianism or the, mm-hmm. the repressed sexuality, the incredible sexual tension, and the, the, the kinds of things that would creep into a storyline like this um, as part of a plot driver device, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I'm also talking about a way in which to view this film. And one of the, one of the things that, you, if you're aware of the historical context of when the film was made, not the period in which the film was set, but when the film was made, there are some things that you got to understand that this was well into the, 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 the reign of Generalissimo Franco in Spain. Mm-hmm. This was a very tightly held society. Um, a dictatorship that only recently, only a few years before this film was made, had the country started to be opened up to outside influences. Um, they kind of we've talked about before uh, in different podcasts about this that the reason that Spain in the early to mid '60s started to uh, open up a little bit is that they had to. The economy was floundering, and the quickest best way for uh, Spain and Gen- uh, General Franco to increase the fortunes of his country was to open the place back up a little bit for tourism. So starting in, in, the, in the 60s, Spain uh, opened the door for tourism, loosened, uh, loosened the reins a little bit, and so you had uh, lots of people coming from different countries, and therefore the very tightly restrictive uh, Catholic uh, repressed, I should say, mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. in Spain started to be uh, confronted with other societies and other peoples and other nations' attitudes and not just about sexuality, but about a lot of different things. But it's very easy to see the structure of this school and the way it's being mm-hmm. run as a kind of metaphor for Franco's Spain. Mm, yeah. uh, if you look at it, remember, it's a very repressive country. <clears throat> uh, and at the time when this movie got made, the Spanish film industry mostly produced comedies, very light films. And so... The, the thing about a movie of this type and the movie that Nashi made, the, the werewolf movie he made just a year previous, is that these were far outside the norm. Yeah. And the hope was, as, as we learned earlier from that, from that piece that was printed at the time, was that if they could... They, they knew their comedies that were produced in mm-hmm. Spain mm-hmm. would not function well outside of Spain because they were very, very specific in their humor. All of the humor in those Spanish comedies were, first of all, you couldn't make fun of certain things, and so they had to be very sure. broad, they right, had to be right. very silly, they had to be the kind yeah. of films that appealed broadly across uh, uh, several generations so mm-hmm. that uh, there was nothing in them to offend, right. and so they knew they wouldn't travel well, and so these these movies, uh, Mark of the Wolfman and The House That Screamed, were the first moves to try to branch out into a genre yeah. that always sells horror, that could possibly make the Spanish film industry grow and thrive. Mm-hmm. But it is very easy to see the film itself in its construction as a metaphor for Franco Spain. So you have the very mm-hmm. you have the headmistress as as mm-hmm. the the dictator, mm-hmm. you have the 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 house and its grounds as being Spain, and you have a new student coming in who's our point of view character Who's as the 
out person like the person the as you said they opened up for they opened, right, opened right. their borders up for and travel. therefore kind of the catalyst the tourist, for yeah, yeah. The, the catalyst for yeah. a a certain amount of change something cool. that breaks yeah. loose things mm-hmm. breaks things loose even though she does not nec- she doesn't mean to at all she's just mm-hmm. going about her business without right. really any any desire to do any of the things that happen so with that in mind it makes me immediately start thinking about Serador as a filmmaker, knowing that he wrote and directed this, and knowing that he was an intelligent, literate mm-hmm. man, someone mm-hmm. who knew what he was doing when he when he was doing it, and so I would like to point out that he only made two feature films. Serador yeah. made two feature films. He, he made a lot of television. He was known mm-hmm. as uh, the Spanish Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. He made a mint off of a, uh, a a game show called Uno Dos Tres that he produced for Spanish television that went on for thirty some odd years. Mm-hmm. He never, you know, he he didn't hurt for money. But in his two feature films, his only two feature films, it's very interesting that both of those stories deal with the effects of repression in one way or another. And they also, I'm glad you said that, because I also was going to say they also deal with young people and children, really, because even though these girls are older than the age of the kids and who can kill a child, they're still basically children in a lot of ways, especially in this particular time of society, as, as, as sheltered as they've been. Right. It's, it's almost as if both movies especially who could kill a child, but you can see it very easily here too. You're seeing children who are about to move into adulthood. And it's mm-hmm. the it's the, the idea that the worlds of adults and children are separated by a huge gulf. And it takes some effort and possibly hideously some mm-hmm. violence, some some upchurning, some horror some horror yeah. to move from one state to the other. They're moving in well the children dealing with Two thing, things that they aren't really prepared to deal with, you know. Yes. In one yes. case, in in the case of who can kill child, it's violence. In the case of this film, it's it's sexuality. You know? Right, right. And in both both those being those being the two most extreme things that I think any human being ever deals with in, in their lives, and the dealing with those two those two particular elements mm-hmm. of the world mm-hmm. make you the person you're going to be mm-hmm. for as long yeah. as you live. Those are the defining elements of your personality and how you react to your burgeoning sexuality and how you react to the violence that the world will put in your put in your way, yep. no matter what your circumstance in life. These are the things that make you who you are. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of this is that, of course, let me say it up front, Serador, I wish you'd made more films. Oh God, I was thinking the same thing too. Once I, after I, after watching this film, I was like, man, I wish you'd made more than two films. <laughs> I know, I know, and, and I wish somebody would curate and subtitle a large amount of his television work, yeah. which I hear nothing but good things about. Yeah, I'd love to see it. The series, uh, the series he was responsible for, that was an anthology series of horror adaptations called uh, "Tales to Keep You Awake." I think is the mm. name of it. Mm-hmm. Man, somebody needs to do something with that. Somebody needs to put that stuff out if it's still available. I hope it's not like. British television from the 60s and 70s where some of it's just gone with the wind. Uh, boy, I'd love to see some of that stuff. But I only speak English, so I need subtitles. Please, yep, yep, thank you. Please, please. So as much as I want to laud this film for all of the things that are wonderful in it, and I'm not done yet. <laughs> yeah, right, me either. Huh? It only took a second viewing of this film to put into my mind a lot of these things. The more I've learned about the period of time that the golden age of, of Spanish horror exist within mm. the more about the the politics of the time the more about uh, what it, what came about in the 60s and 70s in Spain as the the reign of general franco mm-hmm. uh waned and then of course is is capped in the in the the mid 70s with his death the more it becomes 
interesting to see what the artwork that came out, especially, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. we're horror fans, so the mm-hmm. horror films that came out right. of that period, what it was, how it was influ- influenced by what was happening in that country at the time. And I think it is fascinating that it is not hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say, oh, it's a women in prison film, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And right. it is. Yeah, yeah. But Serador, I think, mm-hmm. is working within the horror genre to tell a metaphorical story if you want to see it. Now, he doesn't mm-hmm. push it. Mm-hmm. I think I think he pushes the sexual repression part of it a little harder because, mm-hmm. A, it's a selling point. Yeah. B, it builds, it builds different kinds of tension. Mm-hmm. And C, it's erotic, which is always something that mm-hmm. is yeah. visually interesting, especially when you have such an attractive cast. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that that stuff is there. Yeah. And I just and it, it makes me think yeah. that it makes me think that when I watch this movie again in the future, I may see more points that lead I, me down that path. I suspect it will. Like I said, having watched it twice, I the second time through, I mean, I noticed all kinds of character bits and nuances, especially like with the character of Catherine, once we know this that the story of her mother and what her backstory is, then when you watch yeah. the film the first time around, even from the very first, the way she reacts to the other girls, any mention of her mother well, I mean, any Catherine, mention, Catherine, you mean uh, I don't know Teresa. Catherine, I'm Ter- sorry, Teresa. Teresa. Yeah, yeah, Teresa, sorry. Yeah. And she uh, she her reaction, the way she reacts yes. in scenes the actress, you know, uh, Christine Gobble just does an amazing job. Uh, and, yes. and but uh, but all these little things like that that uh, that are, I think, to pick up. I agree with you. I think it's a film that rewards uh, uh, repeated viewings. What did you think of the score? Just off the top of my head, oh. I'd, like, I'd like to touch on a few other yeah. things about the movie. Yeah. What What did you think about the score? Because I absolutely love I the too. score. For this I think the music's great, and it yeah. Uh, De Rios is that his name? Uh, Waldo, Waldo De Los Rios. Yeah, De Los Rios. That's right. Yeah, I thought he. I thought I love the soundtrack. It's, it's got this. It's it's, it's beautiful. I mm-hmm. love the the mm-hmm. theme. That's kind of like a waltz. Yeah, yeah. That um that reoccurs throughout the throughout the film. I think it's fantastic. Something else. I mean, the uh, first of all, they they did film on location for the exteriors, but all of the interiors are of course on are, are all sets. Mm-hmm. And the set design. One of the great joys for me of Hammer films, uh, especially of the of the the best of the Hammer films, are the incredible sets. That were constructed in uh-huh. those little, yeah. those little studios. Yeah, right. Um, and the and the, the 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 I have to say that the sets for the house that screened rank right up there mm-hmm. with the best that were being produced Agreed. at the height of uh, at yeah. the height of Hammer. I think that the, the the look of these places, not and not just in the the way the sets look and mm-hmm. and uh, but but also the way they're dressed. The dustiness of certain areas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the way that the uh, the mirrors mm-hmm. in the, uh, the the room with the where they practice ballet mm-hmm. are slightly dusty. Yeah, yeah. Once we get up into the attic, when uh, mm-hmm. when uh, the headmistress mm-hmm. starts looking around mm-hmm. because she's starting to suspect things. Mm-hmm. Once we get up in there and you see all these different little knickknacks and these various things, yeah. that everything in this movie, everything looks set designs wonderful. incredible. The art direction is yeah, fantastic, and, and it and it's. I could go on all day about the about the cinematography, but it's something that you just have to see. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's an opulent looking film. From from what I'm told, the 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 cost of the film was about uh, twenty eight thousand pesetas, which would be roughly the equivalent of about say one hundred ninety to two hundred thousand dollars today. Mm-hmm. They took about four months to film the thing, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. That's probably where most of the money went yeah, because. Yeah. 
God knows time is money when you're making a film. Yeah. To the point where they, I mean, when Mary Maud was cast as Irene, mm-hmm. uh, she was actually the second choice. They had actually already started shooting with another actress who they decided, Lily Palmer and the director decided, mm-hmm. she's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. And so they brought Mary Maud over and changed her out mm-hmm. after they'd already been filming for mm-hmm. a week or so. Right, okay. And so it's it's one of those things where, uh, according, to, according to Mary Maud in this great interview, they would film certain scenes multiple times wow. completely through all the way through until Serador felt like they got it right yeah. in other words yeah. they would think they were done with the scene and a few mm-hmm. days later he would they would shoot it again once again a luxury that very few Spanish horror films had you know yeah. to be able to do yeah. that yeah. but the beauty of that as she describes is that it allowed everyone if you're redoing a scene mm-hmm. you've that means essentially yeah. you were you've already rehearsed it you've yeah. already yeah. talked with the other actors right. you've already interacted with them you've already worked a few things out you've not only blocked it and set things and put mm-hmm. things in place you've <clears> already <throat> done the scene as far as you're concerned and now you're getting another shot at it mm-hmm. and so it allows you to play it better or to play it with more nuance or to play it with better skill just because now it's like doing a play multiple times you've already you've already done this once or twice you know how best to do it now and so that I think also is probably something that adds immeasurably to what the, the way the movie plays mm-hmm. as smoothly and as well as it does I um just speaking of uh, Sarador's directing and this is actually uh, uh, kind of a second scene I wanted to mention that I, I mentioned there were a couple of points in the film that I think just reach an absolute brilliant that are as good as anything I've ever seen the second scene I, want, I talked to the first one was the killing of uh, Isabel but in the next thing I want to talk about is I think it's a combination of Serador as a director and, and the editor and the cinematographer all coming together and I think and to make a truly astonishing sequence is the scene in the sewing room where one of the girls is actually going out to meet Meet the, the woodsman, woodsman. Yeah. and she's out having sex, you know. And we we sort of hear the sounds of her sex, sexual over, you know, what's going on well, with the woodsman. He lay, they lay that sound over. Oh, yes, it's not really, yeah. but what's great, it's not really the, girl, that you the could, girls can't hear, can't it, but hear it, but in a way, they in a way they can, they can, they're, they're they're sensing it on another level, right? That obviously the headmistress who's sitting there with him sewing is not, but it does because she's completely unaware, right? But the but the girl, it it, it the scene begins to move with the pace of a sexual, you know, with yes. moving towards orgasm. And the cutting and the editing, not and the, the use of color, the use of the color red. We talked about the use of colors. Right. The use of the color red in this scene, as it's clip, cutting back and forth between the girls' lips, their hands as they're sewing, um, and finally at the end of it, one of them actually accidentally pokes their finger. You know, uh, I think the blood. phrase you're looking for is pricks her finger. Pricks her fingers. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and blood uh, oozes. Blood. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Uh, so. Um, and it's an incredible sequence. I mean, I think it's as good as any director's ever done. I think because it's it's erotic. It's also funny. It's a, one of the few bits of humor. I think intentional humor in this film that doesn't yes. have much humor, especially the way it finishes. Because after all that, the the thing that ends the scene is the headmistress says, "Finished for today." <laughs> and I, just, <laughs> I just thought that's just brilliant. So yes, that scene to me every time just makes my jaw drop. Every time I see it, I just well, think it's just something incredible. else. And, I, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought that scene up because you're you're right that climax, shall we say, yes, of the yes, scene yes. is when one of the girls accidentally pricks her finger mm-hmm. and blood comes out and of course immediately what coursed through my mind was, oh, isn't that representative of losing your virginity? Sure, yeah. Which immediately makes you think, well, how many of these girls mm-hmm. ranging in age from 15 to 21 are virgins yeah, yeah. and are losing their virginity and, to are, the and are losing their virginity to this woodsman eventually. Yeah. They're waiting mm-hmm. their, for their turn to have that point in their life mm-hmm. where they 
become a woman, so to speak, mm-hmm. in in a certain yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, not not to sound silly, but that's no, no, yeah, but yeah, but that is what I mean. That's what society considers becoming a woman, really. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, certainly, I, certainly at that time, at that time in, especially, in, especially yeah. in that culture, that, yeah, would, that yeah. would definitely. I mean, the, mm-hmm. your your first, you know, your first period right, would be, your, the, but the, yeah. Would be read that way in certain in certain mm-hmm. cultures, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it just there's so much symbolism mm-hmm. packed within mm-hmm. that scene. Well, hell, within the whole film, we yeah, talked about yeah. the possible you know metaphorical state of the entire affair. So this is just I. Mm-hmm. It's such a. This is a great film, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm not I'm not saying great in quotes. I'm not saying no, great no, no. In, it's, a, in, a, in, a, in what I would consider to be a hyperbolic manner, mm-hmm. I am saying this is a great film. Yeah, this is a great we're film. We're not saying if you like Euro Horror, this is a great, or, you no. know, it's like this, whereas if you have the acquired taste of liking Euro Horror, this is a great film. No, we're saying this is just a flat-out great film. Exactly. This is the kind of movie that I think you could sit down someone who is a, a, a big fan of... Um, foreign art film Mm -hmm. from the period show them this movie Mm -hmm. and they would see Mm -hmm. these things within it yes it's a thriller it's certainly a thriller Mm -hmm. a horror film Mm -hmm. Uh, it it has those elements but I think that unless you are unless you're talking to someone whose nose is in the air and just will not see this because they consider this to be a horror film and therefore they're not going to look any deeper into it mm-hmm. I think this is a movie you mean that, like certain New York Times uh, film critics maybe <laughs> or film critics that I just read earlier <laughs> yeah. in the podcast yes possibly <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's it's always a strange thing when to to look back at contemporary reviews of things mm-hmm. because there's especially with genre cinema, man. It's almost why couldn't they it's like why can they see it at the yeah. time? You know, how do you not see the quality of a lot of these films? It's like what is that block there that just makes it where you can't recognize a good performance or recognize a good bit of. Directing? I think okay, I'll be honest. I think that we've talked about it, we've talked about this before. I think it's groupthink, mm-hmm. and it's that that little that little thing. That you don't want to like something that someone else is almost automatically going to denigrate. Because then you are in the position of having to defend something Mm -hmm. that is labeled trash by a large subset of the, the, the population. And it's 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 that reason why this is this is this is one of my my favorite moments uh, of like a crystallization of both a personality type and this kind of thing. Years ago, we're talking back when the film uh, Seven was mm-hmm. in theaters mm-hmm. it had just mm-hmm. been released mm-hmm. I had not seen the movie mm-hmm. but I had been told by several friends that it was one that I needed to go see it was a very good mm-hmm. thriller and mm-hmm. it's something that I would enjoy mm-hmm. and I, a, a rather uh, mm-hmm. a rather pompous fellow that I knew and worked with mm-hmm. uh, had gone to see it and came and, and uh, was in discussion with him and a couple of other people who had seen it and really enjoyed it and he was just talking it down um, and was mm-hmm. saying that it was stupid and I said oh okay I had not seen this movie yet and I asked him very Mm-hmm. Very clearly, asked, oh, you didn't, you didn't like it. I've heard several people who said they did. What is it that you didn't like? Mm-hmm. He could not put into words what he did not like, mm-hmm. and I kept asking him again and mm-hmm. again. This was a man who fancied himself a poet, yeah, yeah. and he could not put into words why mm-hmm. he did not mm-hmm. like this film. Mm-hmm. I lost a lot of respect. I didn't have mm-hmm. much for him at that point anyway because yeah. I didn't like the way he treated women. But mm-hmm. at that point, I realized this man's an idiot, mm-hmm. and it's a thriller. It's a it's it's the kind of movie that is very easy to to look down upon. It's a genre mm-hmm. film, so he couldn't voice yeah. with any clear mm-hmm. intent at all mm-hmm. why he felt the film was crap, mm-hmm. and yet the people who were who were pushing me to go see it, yeah. and they succeeded by the way, right? They, they were quite quite willing to explain. Oh, it's it's very, you know it's it's mm-hmm. very tense. It's very exciting. It has it has uh, it, it's got this that, that da, 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 mm-hmm. da, da. Mm-hmm. they explained in detail mm-hmm. the things that they enjoyed about it. 
And that is why I think a lot of contemporary critics, when you look back at these older movies, yeah. it's that same thing. Yeah. yeah. They 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 don't want to be put in the position mm-hmm. of defending what could be considered trash. Yeah. What could be considered something that is just entertainment. Yeah. Because then they're admitting that they're just like the rest of us down here right. looking for right. something fun and yeah. interesting. Well, and, even the article itself said, look what it's on a double bill with. The incredible two-headed transplant. Right. Yeah. Right. So so that in itself how they go to their how do they go to their posh New York parties and you know and their critic <laughs> and say like you know oh I just saw an incredible two headed pl- transplant in the house that screamed and loved it you know is that right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah or or simply be able to to to, to differentiate between the qualities of, of the two films. yeah exactly yeah you know whether whether you liked one more than the other yeah. just that simple yeah just that simple uh, mm-hmm. or, or I would say simplistic ability to to give voice to your opinion mm-hmm. one was better than the other but I didn't like either how about that try yeah, that one right. for size yeah. I I don't know well nevertheless that's neither here nor there let's let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about this movie mm-hmm. did you like it no I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> I hated it <laughs> while we're not going to directly spoil the ending of The House That Screamed because it's a movie that, um, even though it's, whew, 47 years old now? Mm-hmm. 40, yeah, 46, yeah. 47 years old. We don't want to spoil the ending directly, uh, but I can't resist talking just a little bit. I'm going to warn you now that this may give away an element of the ending, but I'm going to do it anyway, so hang on for just a second. Well, I'll try to dance around mm-hmm. it a little bit, but uh, I talked earlier about how all films are influenced by movies that came before it, and if they are of a certain quality, or if they're they're seen by the right person at the right time, all films have a tendency to influence films that come after it. In this case, we talked about how The House That Screamed clearly had something to do with Suspiria. Mm-hmm. I would like to say that there is another film that you and I have covered on this very podcast, mm-hmm. sir, mm-hmm. that um, the ending of this movie is very similar to. They, they Both of these movies have similar endings, and I'm just mm-hmm. going to say that the ending of the film Pieces mm-hmm. has some strong similarities to the end of The House That Screams. Agreed. Agreed. And that, my friends, is a little freaking disturbing. <laughs> because, first of all, let's say this, Pieces takes place at a school. It takes it place does. at a college, right? Yes, it does. Uh, there are murders happening. Mm-hmm. Now, in House That Screams, they're, they're with knives and not yeah. chainsaws. Right. <laughs> So that's you know take it take take what you can take from that. <laughs> One is more absurd than the other. I'll leave that. Yes, I'll leave that for you to discern. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I found it very odd because I'll be I'll I'll admit mm-hmm. I had forgotten the specific details mm-hmm. of the the very end of the House mm-hmm. of Screams mm-hmm. until sat down to watch this Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And then was just struck by it. I was like, oh, my Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. There's mm-hmm. another Spanish film with a yes. very similar ending. So if you know pieces, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But I just wanted to say, Troy, mm-hmm. did that occur to you or did it just mess with you? Oh, no, it definitely it definitely did. I, 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 I definitely, once everything was resolved and the movie's over, and yes, that I, I, I made that connection, too. It did, it did call to mind that. And then, of course, you're right. When you start thinking, oh, both Spanish films, yeah, one yeah. had to be influenced, you know, and, and, and the fact that, at least in Spain, House of Screamed is probably a very, very famous film for anyone growing up, you know, in, in Spain, you know, it's probably a very well-known film. So, yeah, I, I saw it, too. I saw it, too, so. Well, the... The joy of having seen pieces first before I yeah, saw the house yeah, that screamed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd want to reverse that. No, I don't think you want someone to say like, "Hey, and go see this movie that was influenced <laughs> by House that Screamed." 
<laughs> Go see the the artful, thoughtful, intelligent, yeah. nuanced, beautiful <laughs> yes. version of this story. <laughs> and then, After you've seen the Chainsaw Massacre, you're right. Yeah. So uh, let, just to just to wrap this up, mm-hmm. um, neither of us like this movie. No, no. Uh, we, we, as you probably gathered, we hated it. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I, I think this is a great film. I think this is is uh, without a doubt one of the uh, the top five classics. This is one of the the, the top five Spanish horror films I would recommend to just about mm-hmm. anybody. Mm-hmm. Same um, here. This, Horror Rises from the Tomb, uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead, uh, other films with tomb in the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> th- this this is definitely a movie that I would recommend, top of the line, mm-hmm. worth checking out. Something that I think, uh, if you're a fan of, of Hammer films and that, that type of movie, could possibly set you on the path to wanting to see a lot more Spanish horror mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you feel the same. Yes, and because and and again, if if you if you if you avoid Euro horror films from the 70s because of your you particularly don't like the graphic nature of them, sometimes in this film may you might find this pleasing because it's not a very graphic film. So. No, it's not. There there's a little bit of blood, but it's yeah. all very tasteful. Like I say, at the time, this film was rated GP, aka yeah. PG. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not as if this is a this is not a blood and guts film by any stretch of the imagination. This is a much more subtle film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so uh, so what was your rating then? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I ended up uh, I ended up giving it an eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, stretched. Uh, honestly, it could have been a nine. I don't know exactly why I didn't push it to a nine. Um, I think that if the entire film looked as and this is this is awfully shallow of me to say, if the rest of the film looked as great mm-hmm. as most of it does. In other mm-hmm. words, if we didn't sure. have to have the inserts the that are of a, right. low, of, a right. of a lower visual quality. Right. Then, then I think, quite honestly, my 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 rating would have been a nine out of ten mm. instead of an eight. But I just think it's such a great film. I, eight is what I end up giving. Horror rises from the tomb, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Vengeance of the Mummy, and several other Spanish horror films that I think are top notch. You know, Tombs of the Blind Dead. The first mm-hmm. two, the first two Blind Dead films, I give eights. I think mm-hmm. I think they're just brilliant. I'm now I'm curious as to what you gave it. Now that well, I gave it a nine. Ah, I, uh-huh. did, I did give it a nine. Uh, I. And, uh, yeah, I don't give out that rating that much, but I think the film achieves what it set out to achieve wonderfully. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm giving, maybe just the fact that it, again, I'd never seen it before and just discovering something, you know, it's always just that feeling of rush of suddenly discovering another great film, you know, this after you've seen so many, but still something that you'd heard like, oh yeah, this is considered a, a really respected film and, you know, didn't quite prepare me for how, just how good it is. And the, the couple of complaints I have against it are very, are, are, are just very very minor ones. Uh, one of them being that I um, the subplot, the, uh, one of the subplots that I felt didn't quite come, reach a point that I was thinking it was going to, or a real significant point was uh, the scenes with the we've talked about the troubled student Catherine, right? You know, and the odd kind of back and forth she has with the headmistress, this kind of rival slash relationship, a love hate kind of, or this thing that's going on between them. Oh, that yeah. The scenes are always really powerful with the two of them, but where we kind of leave it is in the, you know, this is after she's been whipped and punished, you know, she's there doing well, the shower. In the and shower. She's, scene, and yeah. she's, she undresses in front of the headmistress and, and she's, it's very obvious she's tormenting. She, like, she knows that there's this something, woman, yeah. yeah, she knows this woman has a, Mm-hmm. Maybe she's too young to even know that it's a sexual fixation yeah. on her, but yeah. she's aware that it's she's aware there's something there. Yeah, rather than rather than that whole punishment of her, rather than like beat her down, she basically just comes back twofold, you know, in the fact that she's not she's not diminished at all, you know. Yeah. She's obviously enjoying something. It sort of hints that there's 
a past between these characters or there's something she has over or like you said there's just something she intuitively knows that she has some sort of power yes. effect and I guess I just and again I understand the movie in its full form is an hour and 45 minutes so I understand that some things have to be lost but I guess maybe I thought that there was going to be that's the last time we see her is that scene in the shower and that's still quite a lot left in the movie and I guess I thought the character was going to still have a little bit more play as the film goes on, something more to happen to her, you know, right. or something or happen with her that never really happens. And so it's it's a very, very minor, there's so much, you know, it, there's, there's just something that I thought seemed like something that was just kind of dropped, you know, to me. I, I understand what you're talking about. And uh, um, and then there's the part there also where, um, we didn't talk about the scene where uh, Lewis gets trapped in the, uh, he's spying on the girls in the shower, and he gets trapped in the steam room there and actually looks like he's in pretty bad shape. He's got you know, all the heat's in there and looks like he's maybe about to die from the heat. But he basically manages to, what we figure out is that he's able to, um, when Catherine is the last girl in there and he's finally able to get her attention. Not Catherine, I keep getting the names wrong. Teresa, sorry. Teresa is the last, yes, uh, Christine Galbo is the last character in there. And he's able to uh, get her attention, you know. Because actually, at that point in the movie, I actually thought maybe the character was going to die up there. I thought maybe he was going to actually yeah. die without anybody knowing that he was you know, killed while he was peeping in on the girls taking their shower. Um, we see him calling her name. And then the very next scene, we sort of uh, suddenly find out that they've been seeing each other for a while or meeting each right. other. It's and a that, little bit of a jolt. And it's that's a little my bit problem. Of a, it feels as if we're missing... I almost wonder if there were almost things, two scenes. Yes, I almost wonder if there were some things filmed there that just ended yeah. up. And again, we're talking an hour and forty-five minute movie, uh, so that's a little part of the movie where you're sort of like, you know, it kind of jolts you into what you know. But anyway, these are very small things because uh, I think the, as we said before, I mean, the the, the cast is incredible. Uh, we talked a little bit about the scene where uh, uh, Teresa, I got the name right this time, where Teresa is brought into uh, Irene's kind of inner sanctum there, you know, and and uh, they're basically Irene and her two cohorts really torture, torment. Not physically, but they torment uh, Ment- mentally, uh, mentally torment Teresa. And I just I think that Mary Maud and uh, Christian Galbo are just incredible in that scene. I mean, their performances are amazing. Uh, uh, I will agree with you. That the reason why I feel that I probably ended up giving this film an eight is because of that gap mm-hmm. where suddenly, yeah, uh, Christina Galbo's character of Teresa is is in, in some kind of you know mild mm-hmm. relationship with the son character yeah. and. And the film has not presented us with that information. Yeah, and it's it, kind of it, disorienting for a while. You're sort of like, you know, right. it's, it's, yeah. Uh, it always felt like there was maybe a couple of scenes or at least mm-hmm. one scene missing right there. Mm-hmm. And I, I go back to a very interesting thing that Serador actually said in uh, an interview. And this probably plays a little bit into um, how he felt about Lily Palm- Palmer. Uh, he says that when uh, Lily Palmer first read the script, she said that there were three sequences too many. When I reviewed the ones in question, I realized that she did not appear in any of them. So I thanked her for her advice, but told her I planned to shoot them anyway. So And so I did. But when I saw the whole film practically finished, I got rid of those three scenes. It was only then that I realized just how clearly uh, unnecessary they really were. Of course, exactly as, as my dear, admired friend Lily Palmer had already indicated. And there's a part of me that wonders if... He felt those if those were some of the scenes or one of the scenes yeah. that he felt was unnecessary to tell his story, mm-hmm. and if that's true, I would disagree. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I think we needed something between the, those two, you know, because yeah. the, we have scenes eventually between the two of them, but we needed to see at least one thing that kind of establishing their, you know, instead uh, of being, rapport. in yeah. other words, it's a film. Yeah, we learn of it by being told. Right, right. That's a mistake. It's a mm-hmm. film. We need to show it to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. 
that is, like I say, mm-hmm. still think it's a brilliant movie. Yeah. If the, if that's the most serious flaw I have with the right. movie, yeah. that's that's saying a whole lot. So, yeah. people, if you have not seen The House That Screamed, a.k.a. La Residencia, please check it out. Do yourself a favor. I think you will enjoy it. We tried not to uh, spoilerize it too hard. Yeah. Although I do think that if you uh, read between you the probably, lines, yeah. you can <laughs> dope out exactly all of the things that we were trying not to say. <laughs> so... Um, we'll take. Well, I, I, I guess. I guess. Like, like the girls in the sewing room, we are spent. Right. I think we are. <laughs> I think we are spent. We are, and uh, we pricked our thumbs, and we're uh, going uh, ready yeah, to wrap yeah, this tru- up. Yeah. Truly, truly, I am bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So hold on a second, folks, and we'll be right back. I am Doctor Lee Cushing. Welcome to my chamber of horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster vs. monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen, and that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember... The chamber is always waiting for its next victim. All right, folks, that'll wrap it up for this month. Thank you for joining us for this Beyond Nashy episode focused on the house that screamed. We hope you enjoyed it, and we definitely hope that it's a film that you will seek out if you've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. What have we got coming up next? First, we're going to do this really obscure, rarely seen, <laughs> little known. Yeah, film. you may you may have never heard of this. If you especially even if you're a, a Euro you're a, trash lifelong fan, Euro hard trash fan. Yeah, yeah, never it's, just, it's not a film that really ever comes up. I don't think it's often discussed. Uh, mm. What was what was the name of it again? Um, Seven Doors to Hell or something like that. I think. <laughs> I heard it. I heard a bit of a different. I heard uh, a, a um, different title. Um, the um, Beyond. Uh, yeah, Beyond. That's, that's, that's it. A Beyond. That's yes. It. Yes. Um, a, a film by some guy named Lucio, Lucio Fulci. Fulci uh, apparently, some loud. Loud Italian guy, you know. yeah, 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 bad, bad rep. Yeah. Uh, we'll 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 see. I, 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 I don't know much about this film. <laughs> he said, lying through his freaking yeah. teeth. Yeah, uh, no, folks. Next mm. month, over on the bloody pit, we should emphasize this is definitely mm. not a Spanish horror film. We're going to talk about Lucio Fulci's amazing horror film, mm. The Beyond. And I yes. say amazing with a multitude of... Of, of layers there. Yes. Levels. Yes. yes, amazing on many, many levels. Uh, and, of course, we know that if you have even... If you're just a mild fan of your horror, you've probably come across this film. It is one oh, of the... Yeah, it's, I, it, it, I, it qualifies as a blockbuster among... When the, yeah, the, uh, yeah. I think that the only film that we, would be less of a... Less, less of a... Uh, a known quantity for Fulci mm. would be zombie. If we decided yeah, right, to cover right. zombie, Every, yeah. everybody and their grandmother knows those mm. two films, surely. And, so, and since it's Italian, that means we're bringing in our oh. our, our, our uh, friend and uh, graphics designer uh, Jeffrey Nelson is going to be joining right. us for that because right. so, yeah. Next month, over on the bloody pit. Uh, well, it'll it will it'll be late in April. 
I yeah. hope I hope I hope I get it edited together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in April, it might be early. Maybe it's May first. Yeah, like, I was gonna say yeah. We're, maybe we're maybe I past. put it out. Maybe <laughs> I put it out on my birthday. So there, there. Take that's that. right. <laughs> that's right, folks. Think about that. So there's that. That's what we'll be doing next month over on the Bloody Pit. I uh, hope you enjoy that. Whenever I eventually get it edited together, and remember. Folks, we live in wonderful Nashi times. We have a lot of Nashi Blu-rays on the horizon. Keep your eyes peeled. Put in your pre-orders. Get ready to enjoy the fact that the Nashi Renaissance is happening, folks. Mm. If 2017 brings us nothing else, it brings us that. And that's mm. reason to celebrate. That is. Nashi on Blu-ray. Big stuff. So, and uh, reach us at, on our Facebook page, uh, contact us there, or uh, you can contact us, uh, send us emails or uh, MP3s with your opinions and stuff and, uh, on uh, NashyCast. It'd be NashyCast at gmail.com. Please write us. Let us yeah. know what you think. If you have any ideas for future episodes, if you've got something you'd like to hear us talk about, yeah. let us know. We'll be yeah. glad uh, We'll be glad to uh, take it into consideration, make fun of you for suggesting it, and move mm. on. So, <laughs> it's kind of the way we, yeah. we do things. We're sad. We're yeah. sad that way. And I apologize. I apologize already for anything that you're about to send in that I that I laugh about. <laughs> but hey, I make fun of myself too. Yeah, you do. You do. Oh man! So thank you once again for listening to us. Please do join us again when we uh, when we start talking about this stuff. And uh, like I say, 2017 shaping up to be a good year for Paul Nashy. Let's hope it turns into a good year for the rest of us. Amen. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.